0: Hello. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Traeger Method Podcast. My name is Jason Traeger. Just my name. That's all it is. Just a marker, an indicator. Way of identifying this voice as opposed to other ones. Jason Traeger. Guest today, Mark Maxey. Met Mark back in the 80s. He was in Justice League. Talk about our meeting, tours with Justice League, recording with Justice League, changes that happen in that band. This is straight edge, hardcore, Southern California, punk history. File this one under that. Today Mark is in a band called Sloth Fist in Dallas. Splits his time between Dallas and LA now. Sounds like a fun band to be in, they sound cool. I mean, I've listened to them. They're cool. Um, Killing Flame. The Killing Flame was a band he was in after Justice League. Talks about the first time he ever played with them on Brazilian MTV. What? It's a good story. Pollen Art was his post-Justice League band. Justice League broke off and one side went hardcore straight edge all the way. Gaten on that Youth of Today vibe. You know, the collegiate letters. Chain of Strength was that band. Mark kind of went with the other direction that the band had been going in more towards the who's could do rights of spring melodic emotic side of things. That's a word I just made up emotic. You know, you want to call something emo without putting it down because emo sounds like a put down, but it's not. But you know what I'm saying? Emotic music, emotic, hardcore, emotic, post-hardcore that's a new thing that just was invented here on the Trigger at the podcast. That's trademarked TM pod. Okay. All right. I'll get my legal team on it. It's great to talk to Mark. It's just, yeah, it's so cool. He's such a, also Mark, such a steady and uh, even talker. Like I was editing this thing. No ums, no uhs. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He's not like me where I, I like cut myself off. I'll be talking about like, you know, like this one time. I, I, well, do, do you ever just, um, you know, that's like my style. So often I'll hear myself when I'm editing these things. I'm just like, what? Like, I can't finish this thought because I got to get to the one that just came in over it. And oh my God. Mark's not like that. He just speaks clearly, evenly aware of what he's saying. It's very nice to listen to. And you learn a lot. There's a lot of good stuff in this one. Some pretty gnarly stories, some uh, funny ones. It's got it all. It's really a pleasure to talk to Mark. And I'm super happy to reconnect with him. He's in close touch, like he says, with my old friend Pat Week weekend of leading edge fame. I mean to the listeners of the podcast we're famous to each other because you know about pat and martin and me We did the leading edge fanzine in the early mid 80s san diego. So, you know He's famous in this story the trigger method story, you know pat Mark's been tight with pat this whole time I, I you know, we didn't stay in touch over the over the years, but it was so good to stay in touch with or to be back in touch With him now through the podcast. Thank you for being on it mark. I really appreciate you making the time to be a part of the pod. Thank you. Thank you to all my supporters. Oh my God, thank you so much. Patreon, Traeger Method. Every penny, just thank you. It's such a validation and amazing. You know, the other day, yesterday, I was on a comedy podcast. See, I just did it. I just cut myself off there. It's like it's such a valid... You know, the other day, I was... I, let me just finish that. It's such a validation that people actually... Give money to this pod to make it happen. It has expenses, you know. Thank you. There's labor. This is labor, emotional, physical, otherwise. Thank you for honoring and holding space for the Traeger Mother Podcast. If you can't contribute, you just you. It's not in your. You know, you have other things you're giving to. Whatever you're supporting, some other podcast you love. That's wonderful. But tell a friend if you like it tell a friend. Thank you. That's the way people find out about podcasts. I know you know, it's I know it is the way I do typically. A trusted friend tells me about a podcast and I listen to it and I like it or I don't. And then I'm pissed off like why the who, you don't know me. What? You obviously don't know me if you think I would like that. Our relationship is a lie. That's what I come back with. The intros are different than the uh, than me thinking in within a conversation. I find I'm I'm much less. I'm almost affectedly. You know, the pauses are like an affect. Case in point, the pause just before what I'm saying right now, and the rhythm. You know what I mean? There's a musicality to the intros. I like to keep it that way just me in a room, you know? I mean, not that I'm not in a room when I'm doing a Zoom call with somebody like Mark Maxey, but uh, when it's just me by myself, for some reason I I wanna become a jazz DJ. Hey, everybody, Traeger with the podcast. We're gonna have a great time. I listen to KMHD quite a bit here in Portland, the jazz station. It's a really good community-supported jazz station. DJs on that are so cool. We're going to have a good time here. KMHD, here's some Pharoah Sanders. This was recorded in 1967 with John Coltrane at Club Waugh. Sitting in the session. Errol Garner. Errol, that's hard to say. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Jazz. (laughs) That's how I naturally want to go when I'm on the mic here. I mean, not, maybe not always, but it's, it's one of my tendencies. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, mindfulness, man. I mean, I guess that's what I'm talking about. Just being aware of stuff. And that's all this stuff. As Sometimes as this non-duality talk, mindfulness talk that I do to myself and to others gets to be a bit much like, oh, come on, what, you know, huh? There's no doer. What does that mean? But, you know, beyond that, you know, the deep cuts, the mindfulness thing is so simple. Like I was thinking today, I was walking around, it's beautiful, sunny springtime day. You probably hear it in my voice. It's like peak Portland spring right now. Maybe just prior to peak, approaching peak, flower trees everywhere, flowers coming up out of the ground those bright green cadmium light green. I'm a painter. Leaves, you know, that are just almost just as spectacular as the blossoms. And when they're together, you get those trees that are the combo where there's half bright green, light, bright leaves and half flowers together mixed. Then the breeze starts making the petals fly around. It's like, my God, everybody suddenly becomes... A prince or a queen, a princess walking around the neighborhood. Non binary royalty. Yeah, anyways, today I was out there walking around, taking it all in. And I thought to myself, I feel so good. All these, there's inspiration flowing. I'm feeling confident about some things. I'm feeling like, oh yeah, I'm in a good place right now. I'm, I'm feeling gratitude. I'm feeling optimism, excitement about some creative projects. Cleaning up, been doing deep spring cleaning on the apartment. Whoa, just going in deep, degreasing in places, you know, that level. Getting in the corners. Pulling out every drawer, going through the, the, the little trays full of, you know, business cards and dice and paper clips and fuzz and a rubber band next to an old piece of technology. I don't know what it is. Is it a hard drive or yeah, I've been going into those places and getting those sorted out, doing some shameless garbage bag filling? I produce so little waste in my life this is not one of those times i'm filling up some garbage bags let's get out of here every goodwill every day take an object out of the house every day you know all these objects they come into the house most of them alone you know you pick something up you bring it in find this bring that in get this thing bring that in comes in the mail bring that in i'm trying to do that with bringing stuff out yes i am taking big trips to goodwill or to the resale store But I'm also just, whenever I leave the house, something comes out with me, goes in a garbage can in the neighborhood, just gets dropped in there, something, or put on the street somewhere. You know, little tiny, tiny piece of art, just set it in an alley in a corner and go, yeah, somebody else gets to find this, a little Easter egg, whatever. Just get it out the way it came in. It feels good, this organizing, this cleaning, cleaning some windows, washing the windows, the dirty windows. This, these physical activities of cleaning and betterment, they, they, they do resonate psychologically. They, they, the impact is felt on many levels. It's all one thing, right? The spirit realm, the physical realm, there's no distinction in the non-dual understanding. It's all this, But yeah, I was thinking about mindfulness today and thinking like, you know, I'm feeling so good, but when I woke up this morning, I was feeling fine, but but I was having dark thoughts. I mean, the first thing I do in the morning when I wake up almost always is a cascade of, oh my God, this isn't going to work and that's not going to work. And oh my God, there's this. And what are you even thinking about that? And oh my God, you're you're screwing up in some way right now that you don't understand you're doing. And you just can't see it because it's a blind spot, but it's happening and you're doing it anyways. And I don't know what it is exactly. This is me talking to myself first thing. And then a song comes in. I don't even know what song that is, but you know what I mean? That's like my waking almost always. That's what the first thing when I w- open my eyes recently for the past like month and a half, maybe month, first thing in the morning. But you know, rather than letting this be a th- that, that pattern, this, morning anxiety cascade be a problem i've now just go oh this is just an opportunity this is my body my the wisdom of the body and mind saying how about first thing every morning upon waking up we remember mindfulness here's this cascade of anxiety see it for what it is thoughts breathe This before i get out of bed before i move you know Just lay there, breathe, see that these thoughts are just thoughts. They might have something good to tell us, but it's probably not the first thing we wanna think about. So let's just see them for what they are. Don't worry about what they're saying. Just notice they are thoughts and that you are breathing and you're fine laying in bed. Then later in the day, Like today, when I was out walking around feeling good out there in the sun, having all these enthusiastic inspired thoughts, I noticed that those are also just thoughts that I don't need to cling to or put in a, um, you know, hierarchy with those thoughts from this morning. I don't have to say like those morning thoughts were negative, therefore they were bad. And these ones are positive and therefore they're good. And we want to have more positive ones and less negative ones. I don't do that. Instead, I just notice that they're both made of the exact same thing. Thoughts. And that they come and that they go. And that there's patterns usually in my day. It usually starts the same way with that anxiety avalanche. You thought I was going to say cascade again. I'm aware of that, that that I'm saying cascade a lot. So uh, I switched to avalanche, that avalanche of anxiety, even if it's just a mini mudslide or whatever, but that just notice that that's how you wake up and that there's also probably chemicals involved. You know, have some coffee. I'm addicted to coffee. have a little coffee, go for a walk, get the blood flowing, talk to my girlfriend, pet my dog, maybe if I'm with them. And then, you know, notice, eat some food, be awake for a little while. One o'clock, feeling good. Chemicals probably changed. But you didn't, you know, since I didn't attach crazy power to those negative thoughts in the morning, I didn't sink down with them. I just noticed them for what they were. Thoughts. And so you're not doing this, you know, you might say, well, well, you you might hear me describe my day as this big down in the morning and then this big up in the afternoon. Like what a roller coaster. That sounds exhausting. But the thing is, if you're not attaching to what those thoughts are, it's not that much of a roller coaster. It's much milder. It's just a little, just ripples, you know? So you're not doing that crazy. It's not painful the way it would be, you know, what the way it was for me when I used to always attach so much to these thoughts. Now it's like, well, I'm not even deciding. You don't have to do all that work deciding which ones are good and which ones are true and which ones are wrong and which ones are bad, which ones are helpful, which ones are hurtful. You know, That's a lot of work to put on all these thoughts. But when you just start with, I can do that evaluation, but you just start with, they are thoughts that come and go and that I, who I actually am, is the witness. I'm actually the one noticing. I mean, if you're noticing the thoughts coming and going, you're the witness. The witness is always safe, eternal, deathless, never born, ever present, impersonal. So when you notice your thoughts, you're practicing mindfulness, you become the witness, same witness. Same witness, we are one. Come together, just be gone. Watch your thoughts as they pass by. Eternal moment, we never die. Then there'd be a part that'd be like, to <speaking> die. <in Spanish> Something like that. That's my mindfulness hardcore song. Improv. Should put a beat to that one. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. I just might, I might actually, you know, and that's it. That's, that is the mindfulness thing that, that does in my experience, make life much better. All it is, is noticing, remembering, that's it. You can breathe, you can sit, you can do that stuff, but you know, it's just day to day, in and out, walking around, whatever. All right. And with that, I'm going to... I already talked about this. I introduced Mark up front. This is Mark Maxey. I'm so happy to share this conversation with you. Again, thank you, Mark. Thank you, all listeners. Oh, wait a sec. I just remembered I had mentioned that comedy show that I was on. I don't know if you'd call it a podcast. It's a video show, maybe. They do it over Zoom. It's called Would You You Rather. It's hosted by Traeger Method podcast listener Andre Medrano and his co-host Maggie Maxwell. Thank you both uh, for having me. I really appreciated being on the show. It was a lot of fun. The reason I brought it up was because Andre introduced me as being the host of a very popular podcast. And I thought, well, isn't that nice? A very popular podcast. I I do feel like it's a very popular podcast. By my own internal spiritual metrics, I don't know what, you know, we get between what 400 and a couple thousand listeners an episode, maybe more than that that's huge. It's because of you. Thank you. You are those, you are the popples in that popular. And I got to say, thank you to you, dear listener, my guests. Thank you to every guest that I have. I mean, that's what you're tuning in for, right? The solo ones too, you know, that's you and me collaborating, but then the guest is in there. I mean, last week, Gary Floyd. How amazing was that? so many incredible guests over the years and there are two years i'm over two years now so i can say over the years we're doing this this is episode 76 i don't know if i mentioned that we got mark maxi this conversation is awesome as you'll see and i guess that's as good a place as any to stop this and start that so here it is my conversation please enjoy i know you will my conversation with mark maxi All right.
1: (laughs) Hello, Mark. Hello, Jason. It's good to
0: see you. Very well, thank you. I
1: think aside from our two-minute conversation last night, I don't think I've spoken to you since like 1987, maybe? I I was
0: thinking that exact thing today, and I was thinking, I wonder where the last moment we saw each other was, probably on a sidewalk somewhere in Southern California
1: after a show. Or, Or maybe Reno. I don't know. That could be. It might, might have been the last time I saw you was in Reno <laughs> when we went up there to play that uh, ill-fated show with the Brigade. Tell me Where, about that show. Remind me. Um, so we were trying to book a summer tour for 86 uh, for my band Justice League. <clears throat> and I believe I called you because I knew you were living in Reno with uh, Seven Seconds, guys. And uh, you said, well, how? why don't you come up? next month or whatever because i called you in like march and maybe there was a show in april mm-hmm. with, with uh the brigade which and the was, brigade the brigade was the brigade was youth brigade after they decided they didn't want to be youth brigade anymore and they wanted to be the brigade so they uh they got a new bass player i think yes for sure they got I, a new bass I remember
0: player. i remember the song ice cream that's the only one i can remember Ice yes. Ice
1: scream yes i do remember that song. my wife has both of their records she's um, a brigade fan I haven't listened to them in a long time, but yes, we have them. Um, but yeah, so we, we drove up for that show in it was either March or April of 86. Um, that was Casey Jones's second show with us on vocals, um, second and last. So he uh, he's he's the singer on our our quote unquote best album, but he only played two shows with us. Is that now. right? And that was one of them.
0: That's amazing.
1: And then after our set, the cops came in and broke it up and the brigade didn't even get to play.
0: Okay. Was this in the, uh, there was kind of a hallway type venue and there was the roller skating rink.
1: It was not a roller. It was like a, it was like a veterans VFW. Oh, okay. VFW hall. Type hall. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly what it was, but it was something like that. Yeah. Right. Um,
0: yeah, I know that place now because because we were living at. The, did, you, did you come and stay at the castle that seven seconds and I were uh, living in? I,
1: I've heard you talk about the castle, and I've heard Kevin talk about it, but I've never. I don't recall any castle, so it
0: probably uh, would have uh, probably yeah, would have made an
1: impression. Not, I feel like I would have remembered that. Yes, <laughs> um, I don't even remember where we stayed that night. I don't know. It's maybe it's you had to hazy.
0: drive through to the Bay Area or something. It's very
1: hazy. This no, that was literally that we drove up for one show and and then drove back. But I I don't remember where we stayed that night. Um,
0: it's amazing that you don't remember something that where you stayed, which 50
1: is fifty years. Well, but I mean, my friends, I'll make fun of me. You'd be surprised how much I do remember. Um, so that's, that's one of the few things I don't. Um, yeah,
0: one of the so benefits of straight edge youth.
1: Yeah, well, kind of <laughs> straight edge ish.
0: Straight straight edge ish. Yeah, yes. I think most of us were on some
1: spectrum. I, I think I might I might have put X's on my hands maybe twice in my life and, uh, you know, that didn't, didn't last with me. I, I, yeah. I was uh straight edge at, at the punk rock shows, but then at the parties on the weekends, you know, I, I just dis- determined that I needed a beer or two if I wanted <laughs> to actually speak to that girl across the room. So <clears throat> that was, that was my teenage years. Yes. I
0: think it's fair that you made that a priority. It's good to talk to girls. Don't just hang out in the
1: pit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah so that was a that was definitely one of the things that uh, led me away from hardcore shows was the, the lack of femaleness in the room.
0: Yeah, um, major, that, major uh,
1: drawback late, you know, those late 80s where it turned into like just a bunch of sweaty dudes. <laughs> I mean, I guess it was maybe I was like that, but after a while, it kind of. Yeah, I want yeah. to get away from that. <clears throat> definitely. So So where do you want to start this?
0: Uh, well, let's start in uh, Inland Empire. Um, you grew up in did you Did you grow up in Ontario, Pomona area?
1: I did. I had I had a kind of a, a odd childhood, I guess. Um, my my parents split up when I was like two, so um, mostly raised by my single mom, um, and she didn't have daycare, so I stayed with my grandmother um, for school. So I actually didn't go to school where I lived, which is kind of odd. Um, So yeah, basically I was growing up in Ontario, but I was going to school in like a place called Roland Heights and Walnut, um, which is about like 25, 30 minutes away from there. Um, And then in high school, I moved to Costa Mesa um, by the beach near Newport beach, Uh, moved in with my dad because I always wanted to live at the beach. Yeah. And, uh, did that all through high school, but in the summer of, I would spend most of the summers at my mom's house or, or back and forth anyway, in Ontario and summer of 83 is, is when I met basically all the guys that uh, are still my friends to this day. How'd you meet those guys? Um, so pipeline skate park was a big thing in Upland. Um, I, very famous. I yeah, I I skated there a, a lot when I was younger. When I was in high school I wasn't much of a skater but I still kind of tried. Um and then uh my best friend down the street Pat Ellis you know summer of 83 when I came back for the summer he uh introduced me to a bunch of friends of his that were punk rock and that was kind of eye opening for me. I mean I had you know I had dabbled in uh in what I thought was punk rock before that, but turns out it was really just New Wave, right? What were um, you listening to? Um, I mean, in middle school, I was listening to like the B-52s and Devo and Blondie and, uh, you know, the Vapors and uh, like the Plimsolls, things like that. And uh, the Pretenders. I remember getting the first Pretenders album and thinking that was punk rock. It's all um, great stuff. It is good stuff. It's it's fantastic stuff, but it it wasn't really what what came to be my yes. version of punk rock after that right um so yeah so i was into that kind of stuff um like late middle school and then going into high school and then summer summer of 83 just after my sophomore year is when i went out to uh uh stay at my mom's and my friend pat introduced me to um Ryan Hoffman and uh John Rowan Skip Turner and Ted Edison and they were all in a band called Diversion diversion yes diversion and uh so i thought it was super cool that they were in a band and uh so they introduced me to a lot of uh you know kind of the socal hardcore stuff at that point um i went to my first show in summer of 83 which was the the circle jerks with uh i'm i'm pretty sure it was chuck biscuits on drums oh yeah at the time and, uh, yeah, from, I thought that was what all drummers were supposed to be like After that.
0: It's <laughs> a pretty and, high bar to set a first show <laughs>
1: turns out they're not, no. um, but yeah. So uh, yeah, first show was, was circle jerks. I mean, I guess actually I call that my first real show, real punk show, but before that I had seen diversion play at this bar called Roxanne's in Arcadia. Um, how were these
0: teenagers playing at a bar?
1: I don't think the bar cared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just it was uh yeah, it was it was a lot of good shows there for about two years. I mean, everybody played there what was the um, name of that place? Rock Sands. Um, Rock Sands. Yeah, like you know, MIA played there and um those D Cry play there all the time. All the all the big, bigger Southern California bands. Um maybe not the maybe not on the level of like, you know, your social distortions and your vandals at the time, but this the next tier down. Yeah. Because um, the place only held like, you know, 80 people. Um, so we would go there a lot uh, that summer and in the probably the following year. <clears throat> um, I think Justice League played there a bunch of times. Um, anyway, so yeah, I saw Diversion play there to, you know, like 25 people once with, there was no real headliner of that show. I think they were supposed to play with Peace Corps. Oh, yeah, Peace Corps. Um, but they did not make the show. So it was just the two openers. Um, so. That was cool. That was my first time witnessing a slam pit, as it was called back in the day, be- <laughs> yeah, before the term before the term mosh came around.
0: Yeah, moshing uh, was an East Coast import, wasn't it? That yes, was,
1: it, I, was. It, was it was. Slamming. It was slamming. It was always slamming until you know, like 85, 86, when East Coast mosh came into play.
0: Yeah, mosh pit kind of came with crossover. It was yeah. punk was slamming. That's true. Yes,
1: yes, it was. So that was did that you was slam? I don't think I did that very first show, but I think maybe by my second show, I was I was up in there. How long and before then, a stage dive? Um, <laughs> probably not too long, but I don't I think I can count the number of stage dives I've done in my life on one or two hands um, just because I didn't want to get hurt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you, you see the people getting I mean, carried, carried out, right? <laughs> I,
1: I, you know, I, I was I don't trust people enough to catch me. So. <laughs> Yeah, have, I, I, have,
0: you, have you healed that yet, or are you was, ready to do a trust? Uh, I'm not <laughs> trust fall.
1: A trust fall? Yes, <laughs> I don't know. It depends on who, who it is, I guess. Um, yeah, so I was never a big stage diver. I, you know, I probably did it a few times, but never.
0: Did you ever see uh, suicidal tendencies at Perkins Palace? Did you go to that show?
1: I did. I was there. I, to that, to this day, that was one of the greatest shows of my life. Uh, um, I'm
0: so glad you were there. I I, I just yes. assumed you probably were. You know, I was. I mean, Do you that remember was such... the stage diving scene at that show.
1: Oh, and the stage is like six feet high. And then I the mean,
0: speakers are another six or 10, 15 feet high.
1: People were jumping off the speakers. I don't people don't would run that, but... across
0: the top of the speakers. And then, I mean, I know I saw at least one person because it's etched in my well, etched in my memory. Of course, that's faulty. Yes. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that was the most psychotic, I mean, suicidal tendency. They were the suicidal psychos.
1: But was that, I mean, was that not an amazing show? And I right. think, I think part of it was because it was so diverse. I mean, yes, they were all punk rock bands, but none of the bands on that bill sounded the same. And I, and I who was on I, the bill, the I long for shows. Yeah, so it was it was the Toy Dolls, Toy suicidal Dolls. tendencies, the Big Boys, Stalag Thirteen, and social unrest. Dude, I mean, such a great bill and all and, killer. And none of those bands sound alike. No. Oh. No. They're not even not even similar really.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean quite different. I mean Toy Dolls of course being cartoonish tight boy, brit punk.
1: Yeah, and they were they were huge at the time because they were huge. playing Nelly the Elephant on on K-Rock. Yeah, Nelly so, the yeah, Elephant. Right? Yes. But then so you know Suicidal had just as many people there as they did. And I mean, that yeah. was really like the height of institutionalized. Well, not the height of Yeah, I mean that had just come out. And that was that was a huge again, that was that was actually played on the radio in L.A., so um, on mainstream radio. Mega show. Yeah, that was a that was a great show. All right. That so was a cool
0: venue. How big was Perkins Palace, do you think? Like, how many people, um,
1: would you say? Uh, 1,500, maybe 2,000, yeah. somewhere yeah. in that range. Right. I and mean, there was just this giant orchestra pit on the floor where everybody was. You know, like, down in this orchestra pit, so the stage was like, you know, 10 feet up, and you're craning your neck.
0: Yeah, um, people must have broke their necks there like those those suicidal guys jumping
1: uh, i don't know i mean i probably. guess the,
0: the crowd was pretty thick though so that would have been yeah weird. you're you probably Chances were are.
1: pretty good i chance you're gonna get caught but you might you know you might get a head in your ribs or something which would feel too good but
0: yeah uh, yeah oh, but, madness
1: yeah. um it's a good show
0: so you, so you start hanging out with these guys um were you going to toxic shock records there in pomona? yeah
1: all all the time i mean that, that was, was the, the place that was the hangout so yeah tell, tell you, the people about toxic shock what that was, was like toxic shock was a record store in pomona california owned by a guy named bill sassenberger um and managed by bob durkey legend and uh bill tuck from pillsbury hardcore worked there um a little bit later, Ryan Hoffman and St- Skip Turner would end up working there. Um, but when I first started going there, it was just Bill Tuck. And I, I still remember to this day the first time going. I don't know how I remember this, but I remember the first time going in there at one of the older locations in the downtown Pomona Mall. And uh, you know I didn't know what to buy. but And Bill Tuck pulls out the, the second minor threat seven-inch in my eyes, seven inch. He's like, Oh, you need, you need to buy this. He's like, if you're friends with these guys and you like the stuff that they like, you need to buy this. He's like, it's out of print. He's like, so it's not going to be around much longer, but they just happened to, you know, they still had a copy. So I that's it a for, good tip. I bought it for two bucks or whatever. Oh, um, hell yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's probably worth $1,500 today or something But I wish I still had it. Of course <laughs> I don't. Um, but I bought that and I bought channel three, uh, fear of life. Oh, another great record! <laughs> and those were my first two uh, introduction to punk rock, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, those were those were amazing records, both of them. Yeah, and I played them, you know, warm out to them all the time. Yeah, so I mean, toxic, and then just you know, for the next four years, five years, Toxic Shock just became a hangout. I mean, I don't think I bought more than in, maybe a dozen records there ever, <laughs> but <laughs> but but we'd always hang out there. I I you know I I love the fact that you know Bill would would let us just hang out there and, and didn't care that we were, weren't actually buying anything because we would just go there and just listen to you know all the store copies of the records and just hang out with with the guys that work in there. Um, you know, a year or so later, Ryan and Skip got jobs there, so we know we would just be there all the time um
0: how lucky to have a store like that in your scene because i mean a dedicated punk it was a punk record
1: store it like was that a punk, was all yeah, they that's did are literally that's all they had with punk rock i mean it how many
0: how many like total pure punk record stores were there in america
1: uh, probably not too many i mean i know there was like raunch records in salt lake city right yeah. and mm-hmm. i feel like even bleaker bob's in new york they still had other stuff too they had right? other
0: stuff yeah zeds
1: um, um did Zeds have other stuff? I can't remember. I didn't go to Zeds that many times.
0: Might have been all
1: they punk. Were,
0: That'd be a kind of a cool thing to figure out like how many actual dedicated punk record stores there were. Because we're still heavy, but Toxic Shock was strata. Toxic
1: Shock was definitely a punk rock record store. It didn't didn't carry anything other than, you know, I mean it had some noisy stuff like you know sure. Robin Gristle or whatever, yeah. or, or the Swans, but um that was yeah. So Bill Tuck used to always put the Swans record on whenever he Wanted someone to leave the store. <laughs> that was his trick. <laughs> like if there was ever there's somebody in there that was annoying and he wanted to leave, he'd put the swans on full blast until they left. That's that's a good I, choice. I don't even remember what they sounded like. I just remember it was very like grating.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Um. So like this that area must have had enough punks to support a store so was was the scene pretty big out there i mean did you have a lot of punk friends like at high school was it well you weren't going to high school out there
1: i I wasn't going to high school there um but you know there uh, i mean probably every school had you know eight or ten kids maybe Mm -hmm. at that point but people came from all over to go to there i mean people i mean you probably drove there from san diego definitely um You know, Ron Martinez lived in Orange County, you know, Singer Final Conflict, and he was there at least once a month. We'd run into him there. Um, So just people came from all over to go to that store because it was, it was a specialized.
0: Yeah. It was um, a major magnet to that area that, you know, if we didn't know you guys, we probably would have never gone out to Pomona.
1: Yeah. But I mean, they had, they had everything, you know, they, you know, they would carry whatever they could get, but it was pretty much a, a, full-on selection of punk rock and they, was, and they they really survived they did mail order too for sure yeah that was skip's job he was the mail order guy um i think a lot of what they survived on too was t-shirt sales whether they were authorized t-shirts or not i'm yeah. not sure um <laughs> i do know there was some issue i think with dri coming in there and demanding (laughs) demanding some shirts or something (laughs) nice t-shirts i don't know i could be making that up but that's what i recall yeah um and then i know it was a big day for them when they sold a pair of doc martins oh Um, yeah yeah yeah, that was like you know half the revenue for the day because i mean they were they were literally yeah i I still remember like you know them saying like oh yeah we we sold 200 bucks today that was like a big day for them so i mean i guess rent must have been cheap and and you know employees were on minimum wage and you know so there wasn't a whole ton of overhead. Right. Yeah. I mean, they were they were only selling a couple hundred bucks for the merchandise a day. Um did they have a
0: they moved a couple times. When I my memory, and this is just a you know sketchy snapshot in my
1: mind, is of like a strip
0: mall kind of area. What is that where yeah, they
1: yeah, they they moved several times. Oh, they, okay, um, I just got one of the, the locations. F- I, I I went to personally three different toxic shock locations. I think there was one before that. Um, But the one, the first one that I went to was in downtown Pomona in a, it wasn't really a strip mall, it was like a downtown kind of outdoor mall kind of thing. Um, Right. And there was the right next door to that is where the club 12XU happened.
0: Right. um, Which
1: was, um, you know, Bob Durkee ran that. It lasted for a little under a year, I think. Um, And then after that location, they moved to a little like almost a house on the corner of Holt and something else in near downtown Pomona. That was the one that I went to because they were at that location for a couple of years, mm. at least maybe two, three years. And I was, that's the one I was at all the time. I mean, I, I, that was my second home. <laughs> we just, let's just go to toxic and hang out. I was going to see people, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not only we knew the employees, obviously, because they were our friends, but you know, everybody who came in, half the people who came in, we knew right. who they were. Um, it was just it was just a hangout and uh then after that they moved to more like a strip mall in claremont Mm. um i think it was claremont or maybe it was still pomona but it was it was it was more of a strip mall location that was the last one i remember before they closed up shop and moved to uh, arizona
0: yeah they're in tucson to this day right
1: yes i believe so
0: and it became a record label as well i mean they put out they did a peace corpse record i think
1: peace corpse raw power raw power, power right decry screams from the gutter decry a couple different compilations mm-hmm. um, yeah they did, they did quite a bit back in there, they, they, there was bob Pils- durkey man that right
0: bob durkey was such a uh amazing dude i mean when you think about yeah, all this stuff like dude the venue the band is in pillsbury hardcore yeah he ran
1: he ran Fart Blossom Records, so he wasn't really Fart I mean, Blossom. Yeah, right. Toxic Shock Records was really just Bill the owner's label. Okay, right. Um, I don't know how much any of the store employees had to do with it. Um and then yeah, Bob started Fart Blossom Records. And... It's so funny
0: you say Fart Blossom. I it just occurred to me like and I don't do this anymore, but a lot of my passwords for a while on various devices was when I'd have to do a new one, it would just be Fart Blossom. Fart <laughs> Blossom twenty three. <laughs> and then girl like, was like where did you get that from i'm like oh um oh it's the, that old punk record label I that's even... hilarious <laughs> yeah it, it just occurred to me as you said that it's so funny that's funny yeah
1: deep in the psyche man yeah so bob put out a, a handful of cassettes i think the first vinyl record he ever did was the first justice League seven inch um if i'm not mistaken think or sink Yes, Thinkers Think. Or I think it was like Fart Blossom 4 or 5, mm-hmm. but it was but I think it was the first record he ever did. Before that it was all just tapes. Um and then he put out, you know, he put out the Pillsbury 7-inch and he put out the Justice League album and uh he put out an album by a band called Subculture from North Carolina. Oh yeah, I remember them. And another band called A Number of Things, I think. For also I think they're also from or maybe they're from DC, I don't know.
2: Sounds like a put, DC
1: band. Yeah, he put, what was the one? Oh, Dane Bramage from DC, which oh, was yeah. Dave Grohl on drums. Right. Um, yeah, I've always wondered why Bob hasn't tried to reissue that, but he hasn't done it. Um,
0: Not in it for the cash. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, that was that was Dave Grohl's second appearance on vinyl, I think, uh, after, yeah. the, uh, after that uh, getting shit for growing up seven inch with mission impossible lunch meat split. Right. Um, yeah.
0: It's a legendary piece of vinyl. Yeah. Rock history. I wish,
1: wish I still had. <laughs> yeah. What happened
0: to your record collection?
1: I stupidly sold it all off in the nineties. Hmm. Uh, when I was, you know, I wasn't listening to it much anymore. I was buying everything on CD Yep, and I was just—it was just one of those things where I was like, "Oh, people are doing auctions in maximum rock and roll now okay, to, big bucks. <laughs> to to sell their records, and you can get fifty dollars for a you know a, a record." Yeah, you know, and so I I did the whole thing. I, Casey Jones was the one who. Hipped me on to that because he was selling a bunch of stuff doing these auction things on Max Rock and Roll, where you you put an ad in and then people write you and then you send them your list of records and then they mail you bids. And then you you, you tell the highest bidder, okay, I'll take your bid. And then all through mail, all through the mail. So it would take, you know, three months to sell one record. Yeah. Obviously, obviously pre eBay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Things changed a little in the eBay era. Yeah, so I so I sold a handful of records that way and then this one woman in Florida wrote me and said, "Hey, I'm opening a record store in Florida. I'll buy your whole collection." Mm. How much, you know, will you take for it? And we agreed on a number and it was foolishly small. Yeah. Um and I boxed up my whole collection and sent it to her. I got and, my
0: $500. <laughs> that's about what it was.
1: I mean, I'm embarrassed to say no. I think it was 300 But Oh, my God. Yeah, you
0: can't think about that stuff.
1: Yeah, and which, I mean, I guarantee you that collection today would be yeah. worth $30,000 maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who knows? I don't know. I don't yeah. want to think about it.
0: No, somebody's enjoying those records. They're in the yep. uh,
1: in the world. They've been sold three or four or five, six times by now. Yes, I'm sure. right. Um
0: <laughs> they're in a vault in Japan.
1: But hey, you know, I was able to buy 30 CDs with those that money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you treasure those.
1: <laughs> you well, the, the the terrible thing of it now is now I'm selling off all my CDs and buying vinyl. <laughs>
0: That's that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I was just talking with my friend the other day about how you know, he he got through the CD era unscathed. He never bought CDs. He's like, I just I read an article and saw that they're all going to go, they're all going to break down in like thirty years. There's no reason <laughs> to put any money in. And vinyl's going to lie And he did it. He got through that era without ever switching from vinyl, and wow. he's got this incredible collection. But
1: nice, Yeah, nice. I, I, I switched. And yeah, unfortunately, my wife was smart. Um, She would not let me sell her records, so I I literally only sold mine. You know, even though we had combined our collections at the time, but um, at the time I was selling, she's like, "Okay, we're dividing them back up, and I'm selling mine, and you're keeping yours." So we still have all hers. Um,
0: What was her style and taste? As a, um,
1: I mean, pretty similar to mine. Oh, good. We we had a lot of duplicate duplicate records. Um, She was a little bit more into like the English Oi stuff, so Mm -hmm. she's got a lot of that kind of stuff, and then she's she's got a very it's a little more varied than mine was i would say. Um, have you guys been together since the punk days? We have been together since 1988. <laughs> congratulations. Yes. That's impressive. So, what is that how I many i don't even know how many years that is anymore.
0: How we're we're coming is. up
1: on our we're coming up on our 30th wedding anniversary. Uh, Incredible. Incredible. Incredible.
0: Yeah. That, congratulations.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me music is what bonded us and has kept us together because it's just like It's such a huge part of my life and such a huge part of her life. And it's just, that's what we talk about. That's what we do to this day. What we do for fun is go see bands. I mean, we've never stopped. Um, I told you in our brief two minute conversation last night, we're going to see Balancing Souls uh, tomorrow night. And then uh, we're going to go see Junkyard on Sunday.
0: That's amazing.
1: I (laughs) love that. That's that's what we do for fun you know we do we'll do the punk rock bowling and and we've done riot fest a couple of times kind of getting to the point where i don't i can't really do the festival thing anymore it's just too much yeah i mean it's so convenient cuz i can see you know 12 bands i want to see in 2 days but then again standing there for 12 bands and my feet hurt and my back hurt and <laughs> i just want to go sit down on a sofa somewhere you know so
0: yeah that's the music fan in their 50s man yeah it's like so. two two bands is a pretty good amount you know
1: two to three bands show is perfect
0: yeah and maybe if you have a lawn chair you can sit down for the <laughs> for the 12 band shows you could but yeah it's, it's not it's not it's not a bargain if you if you don't want to yeah if you yeah. can't
1: not comfortable yeah i mean we did we did punk rock bowling last year and by the time the circle jerks played i was so wiped out i just didn't care and i mean i hadn't seen the circle jerks in 20 years and i really wanted to but i just didn't care i was so burnt by that time yeah Um, so we you know kind of stood in the back and watched but we didn't you know i mean i'm still up front for shows i mean if it's a band i want to see I'm I'm still getting right up front, you know. That's the way it should be. The Descendants, Seven Seconds, you know, whatever, you know, any any band from my youth or that I've gotten into since then, I'm I'm still I'm still there. I'm not stage you... diving, but no, not stage <laughs> diving. No, no,
0: you're not. You're not an idiot. So you live in Texas. Um, what city do you go to to see shows? I do not live
1: in Texas anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I am in Southern California. Um,
0: when when did
1: is that recent? Um uh, nine months ago. Nine months ago. Okay. Yeah. So basically at my job, you know, the pandemic taught us all that we could work from home and do this zoom thing for everything. Right. Right. Um, so after working at home for two years, then things started to loosen up and we were going back in the office for two days a week, but, um, I have three kids, my oldest two, uh, both Went to college back in California because we moved to Texas in nine in two thousand and eight. I see. Um, for work, and my oldest two both went to college in L.A. and uh, stayed after they graduated. So, you know, two of our three kids were living here again. Yeah. Uh, my youngest was about to head off to college, so we we just decided that. that you know, we'd always talked about moving back at some point and that just seemed like a good point. Like, Hey, I can work from home. Um, and you know, our youngest is going off to college and the other two are in LA. So why don't we see if we can do it? And then what actually happened was my boss wanted me in Texas a couple of days a week still. Mm. So, so that's what I'm doing now. That My life is, is airplanes every other oh. week. So, um, yeah, after about six months, I I decided the hotel bills and the uh, the rental cars were killing me, so I bought a condo in Dallas. Oh, I see, um, and a car. So I'm um, technically have live in both places, but I'm here about seventy percent of the time. Well, that sounds good. Yep, yeah. and you know I'm I'm getting up there in years. It's not too much longer. You know, maybe another five, six, seven years, and you- uh, I can do the retirement thing
0: nice well congratulations on that too yeah that sounds really good so where are you seeing shows these days when you go see uh bouncing souls where's that at
1: uh that's at the knitting factory in north hollywood Mm -hmm. i see um, which i i went there for a show recently to see a band called the killingtons um they were doing a little reunion thing so that was good there it's a nice it's a nice club it's a good room um there's a place in you know called zebulon that i went to recently for the first time, that was cool. There's a little uh, place called Redwood Bar in downtown LA. I've seen a couple of shows there. Um, went to a show at the Roxy. Fun. Saw a band called Ways Away. One of my one of my current favorites. Ways Away. Yeah, Ways Away. It's uh, it's the singer from a band called Stick to Your Guns. They're more of like a metalcore band, mm-hmm. but but this band is not metalcore at all. It's more like a melodic post-hardcore melodic punk kind of thing. Um the guitar player from Sam I am oh, is I in the band as well.
0: Oh nice. Um so how do you how do you great. find like how did you find that band for instance? Where where do you listen to music and get turned on to music the most these um, days? Um
1: I mean I'm like everybody else I'm on social media a lot. Yeah. Um so I'll just see things on there, check them out, listen yeah. to them on check them out on Spotify or whatever. And then uh, yeah. So I mean Sam I am I've been a huge fan for 20 years so yeah any 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 band that 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 guitar player is going to do I'm going to check it out um yeah and then I I also go to shows in Texas a lot still too um there's a club in uh, Deep Ellum called Three Links which is kind of my home away from home there um I'm good friends with the owner there it's a it's just a it's where all the cooler older punk rock bands play I would say Um, nice yeah but it, you know and it's a small room it's you know 150 cap room uh, but you've got bands like gbh playing there or actually no gbh is playing across the street in a little bigger place but you know agnostic front has played there the bronx um seven seconds you know there's been tons they get all the all the great classic bands will play there
0: oh brad i like it when did you start playing music um because like justice league was already formed um when you got to know those guys
1: yeah so justice league started in late 83 um so basically that band diversion that i was mentioning before broke up for a minute and then they reformed as justice league with three out of the same four members Mm -hmm. um guy named trevor rayham was singing and i saw them play at a party and then um and they started playing shows. Their first show was in February of 84 at the Cathay de Grand in Hollywood. Oh, dang it. I screwed up. I meant to wear my ill repute shirt. I had it on oh. last night. I had it on last <laughs> night for you. Which one? What What design? It's got the What Happens Next record. Oh, yeah. Cover. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Yeah, the classic one. Because um, uh, actually, I was going to to. We'll uh, do a little sidebar here. That was the first night I believe I met you was going to see sam i am sam uh, sorry sam hayne oh yeah and, and ill repute at the ill-fated san diego show that never happened
0: um what okay tell me what happened to that show i'm, I'm, I'm jogged my memory
1: uh so uh to okay. my recollection right, the cops right. the cops shut it down before the doors even opened we we got there early i i'm not sure if you were there or not but i definitely. believe i was definitely hanging out with martin um and we we got there early and we saw sam hayne's sound check
0: right this is all coming back to me this was at fairmont hall yes in and, san diego uh, right
1: and then bessie oakley was there with and joan Stebbins, yes. and they were in town uh, from reno and so we sat around on stage while they interviewed sam hayne right uh, I, yeah i still remember that was my first exposure. i wasn't a big misfits fan back in the day I wasn't really that familiar with them. Um so Sam I Am were just I didn't or Sam Hecky Sam. Um <laughs> Sam Hain I I wasn't all that familiar with them. Right. Um, but I just remember sitting there, you know, listening to this interview thinking wow, these guys are odd. <laughs> you know, I would love to to read a transcript of that if it still exists. I don't know. I, I it
0: to... must be in paranoia fanzine, right? I'm I honest. I don't
1: for some reason I I think it never came out. I don't think, I think maybe they didn't do another issue oh. and it never came out, but I don't know. We'd have to ask Bessie. The lost Sam Hain interview. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I'm I'm friends with Bessie on Facebook. I, I think I'll message her and ask her if that interview actually exists. That would be amazing. I would love uh, to read it because I have, God. I have very specific memories of like at least one question. That what they was asked. that question? The question was, if you were, if you were stuck on a deserted island with, with the a woman you know what kind of qualities or whatever would you want her to have and you know one of them was you know being you know oh i need to have a good conversation whatever and then then glenn i think it was glenn i don't remember one of them said oh it's just a weekend we could just fuck all weekend
0: (laughs) that was glenn (laughs) and Erie vaughn or i remember yeah glenn dancing and eerie vaughn yeah so one one of them was just
1: was just crude. yeah we could just fuck all weekend i don't care she just has to look good (laughs)
0: what a guy um the uh one i remember her asking was something about like wearing a dress do you recall that or she said i forget what it was something and then he's like we don't wear dresses or something but (laughs) but it was very humorless but i i I guess it's not a very good story if i can't remember what exactly she said but it was something about that
1: but yeah i I, I would love to read that and and i just remember so
0: clearly no, did she interview them before the show or after? It was after it got shut down, right?
1: I think it might have been after the cops decided I remember, the show wasn't going to happen,
0: right? Because I remember they were sitting on the stage, really dejected, yeah.
1: like yeah, 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 because exactly.
0: and they were wearing all their their stuff, like they had yeah. their, like you know, sort of white face makeup on and the leather outfits and stuff. And, yeah. And they just and 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 then then the house lights were on all bright because the show was mm. over and just the look of them just sitting on the stage dejected all ready to play and then denied yeah.
1: it was just and then having to do this interview <laughs> then having Probably. to do an interview where and somebody's
0: that. asking them about wearing dresses and what their their desert island love
1: yeah and then after that we we drove all over San Diego trying to find a place where Ill Repeat was going to play and that never happened and
0: yeah oh trying to find us yeah uh, and why were were you just down by yourself or you were you or the justice league? play? No, show?
1: no, that was just me. I was living in Costa Mesa. It was, it was during the school year. And, uh, I had been pen pals with Martin for a little while. I had never met you guys in person. Mm. I think I had, if, if, if Pat is right, I had met Pat and Greg before that at a Stalag 13 show up in LA mm-hmm. that
2: they,
1: that they drove up for. Um, but and then soon after that, yeah, Martin was just like, yeah, come down for the Sam Haines show and and you know stay with us or whatever. And then I remember driving to Martin's house and and him saying, oh yeah, we well, can't really actually sleep here. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna stay with Pat tonight. I'm like, who's Pat? And like, oh, that guy we met last. Okay, all right, whatever. And then turns out Pat's Pat was house sitting for his aunt or something that night, so we all crashed there. There was like ten of us. Oh, that's good. Quit including Bessie and Joe. And I'm assuming you were there probably. Um, Yeah. But I mean, that was, that was a great night. I met a whole bunch of people I'm still friends with to this day all on that night. I mean, I don't, I haven't kept much in touch with you and Martin, but uh, I mean, Pat, I hang out with all the time. We just went to big bear with uh, him and his wife this weekend. Um, So cool. I mean, I still, I still see Danny and Brent, you know, at least every year or two. And uh, you know, Greg, you know he's all been living in foreign countries for the past 25 years, but <laughs> but we're still in touch um yeah, so it's, I love it's, that. It's just crazy that, that this music has just like all of my lifelong friends have come from punk rock. All um, of them, yeah, me too yeah but um anyway, getting back to that was a long sidebar uh, you were a asking good one. Good, about very how, good sidebar Thank um you. how I got into Justice League. So yeah, 84 those guys really started playing a lot. Um, I was you know, still in high school, so I was living in Costa Mesa, but I would go as often as I could on weekends to whatever show they were playing. And then in the summer I'd, I'd come back or summer of 84, I, I came back and lived basically there the whole summer. And then I went back to, to high school in, uh, fall of 84 for my senior year and by that point i was miserable in high school because i just didn't i wasn't friends with a lot of people by that point like all the guys that i had been friends with my freshman and sophomore year were not into punk rock and not into the same things that i was at that point um so i just i didn't have a lot of friends there was a couple of punk rock kids at, at my school but for some reason i never got in with that crowd they were more like surfer kids who were into punk and uh it just I don't know. It never. We never became friends. A um, couple of guys that I went to high school with ended up in Big Drill Car. Uh, Bob Thompson and Frank Daly. Um, we were. I was friends with Bob in high school, um, and Frank a little bit, but um, they weren't really into punk rock at that point. That came a little later for them, I guess. Um. Anyway, I don't know. Um. So anyway, my senior year, I started in September 84 and I just wasn't didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to be with my friends in Pomona even though, you know, I'd rather be at the beach than Pomona, but <laughs> the people that I wanted to be with were in Pomona and Ontario and Chino. Um so I worked it out where I could take an extra class that first semester of my senior year and graduate early in January at mm. the at the semester break. So January 85 I graduated high school early. And I moved back up to my mom's. And that's where I just really immersed myself in that whole thing. Um, I had asked for a bass guitar for Christmas that year, Christmas of 84. And uh, my dad got me one. And I started the first songs I really learned to play were Justice League songs.
2: That's I mean, amazing.
1: I mean, I literally, you know, they had another bass player in the band at the time, uh, this guy, John Godfrey. he he was a really cool guy, but he was like more into like English punk, you know, he had the leather jacket and the boots and all that. And, and he didn't really fit in with the band. I mean, they were, they were, you know, all about, you know, American hardcore at that point.
0: Yeah. That's Um, a, that's a cool, that's an interesting distinction to make, like how that was that time where those styles were kind of cleaving off of one another or in LA, especially there was kind of the two styles were the, sneakers yeah, shorts exactly. t-shirt jeans ill repute style justice yeah. league style and then the minor threat uh, i mean yeah minor threat to... would be
1: the root yeah 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 i mean that's that's where we were coming from we all yeah just worshipped minor threat <laughs> yes um and yeah and then what, what's crazy is you know i saw gbh a ton back then and i never appreciated them at the time because they were They were English and, you know, they had big hair and we weren't into, you know, spiky hair and Mohawks. We were just into, you know, riding skateboards and, you know, shorts and sneakers. Clean cut Um, American kid. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I missed missed out on enjoying seeing GBH in their prime. Yeah. (laughs) Because now I love GBH and I I go back to those old records. I'm like, oh, this is great. Why didn't I I like this more at the time? Yeah, it's not a thing. I do remember liking them when, like, I had it. used to tape the Rodney on the Rock show. Um, you know, just run a cassette and then just uh, listen to it later. And I do remember, you know, Gimme Fire was on one of those tapes And I, So I always kind of secret liking of that song. But that was I never bought any of the records because it wasn't cool to me and my friends. Um, but anyway, so they had this bass player, John Godfrey. Um, and when I moved out there, Ryan basically said learn to play bass and you can be in just like so that's what i did he you know first songs i learned were their songs he taught me them all in his bedroom and and then uh we practiced i literally had one practice with the whole band with not even with the whole band i had one practice with just Ryan and Skip the drummer um Ted the other guitar player was supposed to play the last show that that i was going to be my first show but he was leaving the band and uh, then it turned out there was like a DRI show one two XU the night that we were supposed to play. So he decided he wanted to go to that instead. So he didn't even play the show. He so, skipped it to go see DRI. Yeah. Cause he was leaving the band anyway, that was going to be his last show. So I guess he didn't care. Um, <laughs> Unceremonious so, departure. So yeah. So I practiced once with Ryan and skip in Ryan's garage and we went through the set without vocals and then, we played, you know, a couple days later. Uh, our first show, or my first show with the band, was opening for Subhumans and Scream at uh, Sun Valley Sportsman's Hall in in Sun Valley.
0: Classic! Wow, what a lineup! And what a yeah. venue!
1: Yeah, and I, I I mentioned to you on on uh, our our Instagram chat that you know it was a very eventful night for me. Oh, that was the night. That was that, the night.
0: Tell tell uh, tell my the my audience first, about about the Sun Valley Sportsman uh, Hall
1: scene. Yeah. So a lot of you know, a lot of people like to glorify all the all the violence in the Southern California punk rock scene. It was I mean, so cool and extreme. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it was you know, the danger was definitely an element. I mean, it, it made the shows more kind of exciting in that you never knew what was gonna happen yeah shit, shit could go down and usually would but on the other hand we were never a fan of people fighting at shows no I mean, it just we, we would try to break it up if we could or whatever but anyway that, that first show you know there was the local gang there i wouldn't even mention their name but uh they kind of ruled that area and uh we were you know we had already played our set was done we were watching screenplay And I was up front, you know, just right up against, pressed up against the stage. And these guys just kept jumping like on our backs from behind. So you wouldn't even see them coming. Just next thing you know, somebody was crushing you and landing on your back or on the back of your head. And apparently I turned around and looked at somebody wrong. Because the next thing I know, I'm getting jumped by like 10 guys. they They were, you know. I was just trying to stay on my feet, trying not to die, and they're you know punching and kicking and whatever, and and scream stops playing. Skeeter jumps off the stage. Ron Baird from Stalag 13 was there. He jumps in, and those two guys pull me out. And you know, for all I know, they they saved my life that night because who knows what would happen, right? Oh God! And then I remember you know the 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 gang guys just saying, "Oh, stay out of it. It's not your business. Just." we want the guy who was given hard looks.
0: You're the <laughs> guy to tossing around
1: hard looks. Uh, I'm the guy that was giving hard looks. Yes. Whatever that means. Um, that was justification enough to try to kill me. Um, but yes. And, and then Skeeter was like, no, it's like, if you want him, you're going to have to come through me. <laughs> He's just one dude. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's 10 of them. And one of the, one of those dudes was enormous. Uh, I think you remember who that was. And yes. uh, they all backed down. And then, Skeeter got back up on stage and they started playing and what'd you and do? Then we left. I just we yeah. just left. We packed up our stuff and got out of there before anything else happened. Right. And uh so I didn't even get, I didn't even get to see subhumans that night. <laughs> but, yeah,
0: yeah, that's very not non-glamour. That's a very yeah. non-romantic story. You know what I mean? That's no, it. I mean,
1: yeah. And and that's you know, that was my first <laughs> show playing. Playing. <laughs> so yeah. I got to have that memory to go along with it. What you fun. Know yeah i just remember driving home i had these big lumps all over my head and, you know. it was fun good times
0: i remember martin had a story of uh bob durkey was at the sun valley sportsman hall he must have put on the show and martin said i just remember he was in the bathroom with this bucket and a mop and the floor was just covered in a thick mat of blood like Ugh. like deep black blood you know just on the floor When like a major (laughs) martin said bob was just in there like mopping the blood up it was an image that yeah yeah that would stick in your head hardest working man in show business but yeah that was ah part of the thing huh
1: yeah i remember bob would you know after the fact i heard about this but like yeah he would stay there till like five in the morning cleaning up you know so he could get his deposit back from the place
0: talk about a (laughs) thankless job like (laughs) really Putting on shows at the Sun Valley Sportsman Hall,
1: and you know there's us idiots all you know trying to get in free. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Instead of paying the the three dollars, the five dollars. I mean, no
0: show would have been more than what five. I
1: mean, that would be the max. But but I mean, to be fair, we probably didn't have it. You know. Yeah. I mean, I never had any money back then. We, you know, I mean. I didn't work for the first few months. I lived to my mom, and then finally, I got a job part time working at you know local grocery store, mm-hmm. make, making my three thirty five an hour burrito money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never had, never had any extra money. That, that brings up a, another story that um, I don't know if you if you're on the Revelation Records mailing list, Mm-mm. but they uh, they do or their email list. They every week they'll send out an email, and there's always the Rev Fun Fact of the Day and they actually mentioned this this on there, but there was a show at the Cathay de Grand. This is before I was in Justice League, but I already knew how to play a couple of their songs, and I knew a couple cover songs. Um, we always used to try to sneak into the Café because we never had money. And there was a show, um, I want to say it was DeCruytson and Naked Reagan and a, and a couple locals. Wow, that's a good one. And we were there, and we didn't have the money to get in. <laughs> And so we we tried to walk in and we're like, oh, we're in the band. And they're like, what band? And we're like, uh, just for fun. <laughs> because that was like the name of our fake band that we didn't really have. Just for and, fun. But it ended up being the name of our fanzine that we, right. we ended up doing. Um, and they're like, Okay, you guys are you guys are on first, right? And we're Like, yeah. <laughs> we get in there and the guy followed us in. I think he was hip to our scam. He's like, but- get up on stage. <laughs> He made us play. <laughs> <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> no, so not at all. So it was me and Ryan and John Roa and Brian Walsby was there with us and and was one of the people getting in with us. What did he so, play? So Brian played drums because he played drums yeah and yeah. Scared, scared straight at the time, right. um Ryan played guitar. I played bass, and John Roa sang and we did minor threat by minor threat. <laughs> mm-hmm. we did. Stepping Stone in the minor threat version.
0: So, you're a minor threat cover band
1: basically. <laughs> and, and, and we did uh, Use Your Own Head by Justice League because I knew how to play that one. Uh huh. So we, we did three songs on borrowed gear from the real opening band.
0: What band was that? Do you remember?
1: I can't remember what they're called. I've, I've tried to remember this for a couple of years now, but I can't remember. I want to say. It started with a v but i can't remember it was it was nobody that ever ended up putting a record out but yeah. i do remember seeing them a couple times back then and i mean and i didn't even know how to tune a guitar at that point i was like can you tune this for me <laughs> like
0: just for funs only show
1: and and oh when we got to the the third song it got even worse because it was a justice league song and brian didn't know that one oh, so yeah. we all switched so we all switched instruments and and ryan went to play drums and john Rowe got on bass and i got on guitar and i had no idea how to play guitar so i was basically playing guitar like two fingers you know yeah just, yeah and just yeah and then a friend of ours uh robert barnum sang that song so we had a full lineup change for the last song amazing yeah somehow i remember that very vividly other people remember it differently uh-huh.
0: um, I, like, I like your
1: story yeah like ryan has no recollection of it at all and, and neither does brian walsby um but then John Rowe for John Roe insists that Fat Mike from No Effects played bass and not me. But obviously <laughs> I I was there. I did I played bass. But but the way the way John tells the story, it was Fat Mike playing bass and not me.
0: That's so, so. funny. Yeah, that's how memory is though, isn't it? Like we have these. I mean I find that doing this podcast. One person remembers one aspect of a thing. Yeah. Remember something you remember one part of Bessie's interview. I remember another question. Yeah. yeah. It's funny.
1: And I do remember Bob Durkee telling me at one point that he had a tape of that show of us playing at that show. You got to release that. Bob used to record everything, right? Yeah, he would record every live show there was. Um, I asked him and he, he looked for it like five years ago and he said he couldn't find it. And Just so, for
0: funds. Only show it doesn't
1: exist anymore. <laughs> But yeah, that's that so was, funny.
0: That's like, uh, it's like, you know, paying for your food at the restaurant by washing dishes.
1: Yeah, it's like the door yes. guy. I think he was just ready to call us on our bullshit because we've done that a couple times. We're like, oh, we're, we're with the band. We just walk in, <laughs> you
0: know, he's so, like, no, I'm going to watch you guys. play. He's like,
1: he's like, all right, you guys are you guys are on first. And he walked down there. We're like, did, oh, did you get paid? <laughs> no, but apparently we had a guest list. Oh crap! You, <laughs> well, you put yourself on it, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what you know. I don't know. At least that's what John said. Is is that we we had a guest list that night. Yeah. So we got to get a couple more people in free.
0: <laughs> that's so um, awesome! I love that. That's punk rock right there. Uh, Cathay de Grand. That was a um a legendary venue.
1: Yeah, saw some amazing bands there. What shows
0: um, stand out in your mind?
1: <laughs> um, I remember seeing. I can't remember. Oh, it was NOTA from Oklahoma. Oh, they were great, and Stranglehold from Boston. That was on the same show. Oh yeah, I remember, I remember that one for sure. Stranglehold
0: uh, was kind of that uh, stiff little fingers sounding. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. They yeah, were really very,
1: cool. very poppy punk. You know, yeah, with gritty. the gritty, raspy vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that seven inch too. Another one, good one. I wish I had. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. I saw Youth Brigade there. Mm-hmm. It's uh, God, I don't even remember everybody played there yeah definitely you know dri you know stalk 13 ill repute aggression all those all those bands would play there a lot
0: how big do you remember that place being it was pretty small
1: probably held 120 100. maybe yeah. it, was, it was in the basement i mean yeah. 120 150 probably somewhere in that range to be packed it in
0: i remember one of my first trips after moving down to southern california first trips from san diego to los angeles We went up there and I don't know what we were doing, but there was social distortion was playing there and we went and I remember just thinking, this is what Southern California is all about. You can just drive to a place, see social distortion in this little, because like social distortion had never come to Seattle that I had ever seen. I was Mm. so stoked that you could see them all the time, like in front of a hundred
1: people. And and we did. I mean, that was all the time. I mean, aside from Seven Seconds, who I've seen more than any other band, but that's only because I toured with them. Yeah. Um, and aside from them, I've probably seen social distortion more than any other band. I mean, I, I I must have seen them 30 times in my life at least. Yeah. Um, you know, and most of the most of those in the eighties. But you know. Any maybe. social
0: deeds shows that stand out in your mind um in particular? Um
1: one that didn't happen or, or What's that? <laughs> what, what was so the story? well not i mean not not so much so when i was in high school i would always try to you know the friends that i did have i would try to get to go to punk rock shows with me mm-hmm. so try to you know make converts out of them yeah um so there was this one kid that you know maybe went to a few shows with me he actually he did go up to see uh youth brigade at the Cathedral to ground with me mm-hmm. and maybe a couple other shows uh but one night he told me hey i got billy idol tickets at the palladium you want to go? I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. I'm not a huge Billy Idol fan at the time, but you know, I'll go. It'll be fun. And we drive. We're driving up there, and he's like, I don't really want to go to this view. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess whatever you want to do. It's your, you know, your tickets. I was driving, but there were his tickets. Um. So he's like, well, let's just go up there, and I'll sell these tickets, and we'll do something else. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So we get up there, and he scalps the tickets in the parking lot because the show was sold out, so he sold them pretty easily. And then we drive by the Cathay Grand, which is just right around the corner from the Palladium, and I see on the marquee, Social Distortion's playing. And I'm like, this is what we're doing tonight. We're going to see Social Distortion. He's like, no, I don't want to go see Social Distortion. He's like, Cathedral of Tears is playing at the concert factory in Costa Mesa. Let's just go back home and we'll go the to Who the hell's that. Cathedral of Tears? A goth band? cathedral of tears was jack grisham's band after he left tsol
0: oh right okay
1: um so i'm like okay well i've never seen them, so i guess we'll check it out you know i've seen social distortion before it's not the end of the world but i really wanted to see social distortion at the Cathedral the grand because i never did see them there oh i only saw them at mostly bigger places than that i mean i saw them at the olympic and i saw you know yeah perkins palace that kind of places um so anyway, we drove all the way back to Costa Mesa after just driving to Hollywood basically to sell these Billy Idol tickets. <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> so then, you did it. Yeah.
1: And Cathedral of Tears turned out to be so boring. It was like two keyboards and maybe no guitar. I don't know. It's just oh. it it was just yeah, it, it was like this gothy, you know, Christian death kinda. Was that what whatever. he did
0: after um, that one record? What was it called? Beneath the Shadows? Or Yeah,
1: yeah. Immediately, immediately after Beneath the Shadows, he left and, and he formed Cathedral of Tears. They did one record. Mm. Wasn't very good. I've tried, I, you know, 30 years later, now that it's on Spotify, I went back and listened to him like, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad, but yeah, it wasn't so good. <laughs> um, so that was a social distortion. So, And then another, another early social distortion memory was going to see them at UCI um what's university, uci university of california irvine irvine mm-hmm. um they were playing in some small room there and i think i want to say the band green on red like a kind oh, of yeah a psychedelicish ish underground yeah i think they opened and then social distortion were playing and it was sold out it was in a small room i mean it couldn't have held more than 120 people and there was a good 120 people that inside and another 100 people outside who wanted to get in yeah so they, you know, they did the punk rock thing of of rushing the door, <laughs> you know, and then they all came in and then next thing you know, the campus police were there and they broke up the show like halfway through social distortion set and they had their riot gear on and you know they were they're ready to bust some heads.
0: Ready for a training thankfully, exercise. I think, uh,
1: thankfully I don't think it came to too violent, but yeah, I remember having to leave and having to get out there kind of fast because cops yeah. were for having it anymore.
0: Were you ever at the Olympic when the cops showed up and did their big uh, phalanxes of people?
1: Oh, yeah. I, not well, I don't remember ever having. I mean, I went to the Olympic dozens of times, but I don't remember. I remember the cops was being there, but I don't remember ever like being threatened by them mm-hmm. at those shows necessarily. Yeah. But I was at the Black Flag show at the Palladium where, uh, black flag and Ramones and Minutemen where the cops just busted everyone's head open. What What did <laughs> you see? That was, a, that was a scary night. That was, well, that tell us was, about it. That was a night that taught me fear of authority very well. It's legendary. <laughs> um, so again, yeah, I, I had driven up with a friend, uh, this guy named Shan. He used to play in a band called signal of distress. Um, I don't think they ever put out any records, but they were one of those Roxanne's bands that played all the time. Um, anyway, he and What's I drove. Rock Sands? That the bar in Arcadia. Oh yeah, yeah, Rock Sorry, the, the sorry, first yes, one. Yeah. Right, of course. Um, they used to play there all the time, and they played a couple of parties out in Pomona with us. Sod. Um. um so we we drove up for the Black Flag show, and uh, John Roa was there, and Ryan had gone together, I think. And the thing was. You know, we had never in our lives bought tickets to a punk rock show in right. advance because that just wasn't a thing. No, you didn't, there was no reason to. You never needed to. Well, we get to that show and it's sold out. And and John Rowe was the only one who had bought a ticket in advance. So oh, he went man. in and said, I'll see you guys later. I got my ticket. <laughs> so he went to the uh, Little
0: Licorice Pizza and bought the.
1: Show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, me and Ryan and the guy, Shan were, you know, hanging out outside and next thing you know, there's cops in riot gear. Well, first before that there was like, again, the people like, Oh, let's go around to the side and we'll try to get someone to open the door and we can all sneak in. So, you know, there was that attempt and we didn't make it in and the doors got slammed shut on us. And then right after that stuff started occurring, that's when the cops rolled around and there's, you know, the famous picture of that on the cover of a uh, uh, Rollins's book, get in the van. Right. That's that, that's the show. With all the cops there in riot gear. And not only were there cops in riot gear, but there was the guardian angels. This, uh, I don't know if you recall. The red berets. Yeah. The red berets. They were this, this vigilante group and they all had their billy clubs and they were out to bust some punk rock heads.
0: What the fuck? Uh, Yeah.
1: So, so basically anybody that looked like they were remotely into punk rock was just getting chased and beaten by cops and guardian angels. So we were, you know, literally running, you know, down the streets of Hollywood in fear of our lives, getting chased by cops and guardian angels. I mean, I was I was running down this one side street, and the guy next to me gets cracked over the head with a billy club, you know, three feet away from me, just just for you know running away, for running away. Yeah, um, I remember ducking into some liquor store and hiding, you know, behind the the display or the shelves you know, trying to hide from these guardian angel dudes who were chasing us.
0: Jesus, What um, were the guardian? I don't even know they were like an LA presence. I think of them as very uh, New York, but. Oh, uh, uh, they
1: were, they were definitely out, that out in force that night. You just know, out to just beat punk, punk rockers. wanted to beat up some punk rockers. Jesus, uh, You know.
0: So what happened? How did you get back together with your friends? We
1: all, and we all scattered and we all separated. So we are all, so it took us a couple hours to all kind of just find each other again. And then we had to, you know, we waited until the show was over, I think, because John Rowe was inside. And then we and drove. Home. The
0: show. <laughs> yeah. So so what 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 made the cops sh- did the cops just show up randomly? Was there tons of people outside? Or I what mean was
1: the- I think there was a lot of people outside that couldn't get in. Yeah. But, so that was the thing. And and yeah. they wanted in. You know, yeah. I was one of them. They we wanted we wanted to go in and see yeah. Black Flag. Uh, I had never seen Black Flag to that point. That was 1984. Uh, Black Flag was one of those bands that just I love them but I never got to see them until it was far too late. <laughs> mm, yeah. What was the so, lineup when you first saw them? Um, so I only saw legit black flag one time. Um, Cause that, that I was supposed to go see them at that, the Palladium show. And then I was supposed to go see them. They were playing a free show at the, in LA downtown. And like the, what is that building? Stall like 13 to play there, too. There's an outdoor, it's like a federal building, federal, federal building, yeah, you know, like the federal, whatever, federal building. They were supposed to play outside there, and I was all set to go to that show. In the morning of the show, I woke up and I was sick as a dog, mm. I was like throwing up and I had the flu or something, so I couldn't go. So I missed them that show. So that was like 85 maybe or something. Um, so I, yeah, I missed them twice when I wanted to go see them. And then I finally saw them on their very final tour Um in 1986, I believe it was with, with that last lineup they had, it was just, you know, Rollins and Greg Ginn and two other dudes, those two brothers, like those, like, I don't know yeah. if they're maybe they're brothers. I don't know, but it was yeah. on the, it was the very last lineup and yeah. And loose nut. Yeah. Was that the last record they did? I think maybe, the, maybe um, they weren't, I wasn't into it. It was yeah. all they played was the new stuff like that. They, yeah. they played nothing off of any of the earlier records, like not, literally nothing, even off of damaged.
0: Yeah. It's like that phase where they were trying to punish the audiences for some reason,
1: you know, like, yes, they were just anti audience. Yeah. And they, like the only song they played is I didn't have that record. I didn't have the newer ones. Yeah. So the only song they played the entire night that I knew was Louie Louie. <laughs> like, <laughs> great. <laughs> That that was like their last song or something. I don't know. Yeah. It was it was a very big letdown. Yeah, I
0: remember <laughs> seeing that lineup in San Diego and having that same feeling, like, oh, it's over. <laughs> yeah.
1: Then I did see Rollins' band like a year or two later, and they were really good, actually. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, Rollins' band was. Yeah. So right after the first Rollins' band record came out, I went to go see them somewhere in L.A. They were amazing. Yeah, but it wasn't Black Flag.
0: No. Yeah, I remember seeing Rollins' band uh, with Tool opening for them in San Francisco.
1: Oh wow, it's flipping! Yeah, I saw I saw Tool at their record release party for their first album, and it was at the Scientology Center in L.A. What? <laughs> they had rented it out. So it was, oh, they just rented it. Yeah, I mean they rented out the whatever the, yeah. the bank ballroom or whatever where they had the show, and yeah, that was very like odd experience for like. In this building where all these Looney Tunes, you know, <laughs> congregate, Wild. and Tool was playing there.
0: Did you ever do the personality test when you were in Los Angeles?
1: I, I don't think so. No. I, I think I knew. I knew what was up with it, yeah. <laughs> so don't, I didn't not mess with it. Yeah, yeah you, me neither. Stay like, away. Now they're gonna do something to me.
0: I can't go yeah. in and do it. Like it's no. free. I'm like
1: no. no cults for me. No.
0: Uh. If I can avoid cults, I try to do my best. So, yeah. so you're in the Cult of Justice League. You're you're in the band. What um, you said you toured with Seven Seconds. What do you have any memories of? What was the first tour? You, well, let's ask this: What was the first tour you did outside of SoCal?
1: Um, you know, back then we didn't call a weekend a tour like everyone does now. Yeah, yeah we went on tour, and it, no, you went on a three day weekend. That's um, different. But, yeah but we did a lot of a lot of weekends out of town that summer or yeah i joined i joined in may of 85 um and that summer we played all over the place um actually i i posted a little thing it's funny some, and it as an ad we ran in Flipside that i drew by hand mm-hmm. <laughs> which just said justice league we want to play in these cities and i listed like every west coast city basically yeah <laughs> and, and said if if you book shows write to us at here's our address and and uh, pat weekland pointed out that why isn't san diego on that list i'm like well <laughs> you just skipped it <laughs> i said i said our map only went north um, <laughs> but um yeah so we didn't actually do that tour because we didn't get enough response to our ad apparently and right. didn't know how to book shows on our own at that point but we did play bakersfield and san francisco Mm-hmm. Um that summer. And we went up and played. And so we did oh yeah, we played uh Santa Cruz too. We did and, and Reno. So we did we did several out of town shows that summer. A couple different weekends we went up and did stuff. So we played played with seven seconds and adrenaline OD and No FX in Reno. And then the next night we played in Santa Cruz with Adrenaline OD. Um Murray Bells took some good pictures that night, so I actually mm-hmm. have some of those um then there was another run up to Bakersfield with ill repute and then we did uh, we went up and played what was the place in East Bay um it was pre gilman street I can't think of the name something method or new method new method yeah, new method played... in em- Emeryville Emeryville okay we played there we did a show there with Dr. No um,
0: oh, I think I was at that show.
1: Were you? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, that was a <laughs> famous night where uh, Fred apparently Fred overheard Jello say something disparaging about Youth of Today. <laughs> uh huh. And I didn't, I didn't witness this. I just heard it from Fred after the fact. But that that made. F- Fred, our guitar player, upset because we were friends with Youth of Today at the time, mm-hmm. and Fred pushed Jello into the mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> that's the story I heard. Um, it's a good yeah. story. Yeah, if true or not? I don't know, but that's what I
0: heard. New method. Um, that place was kind of amazing. Like a yeah, was, I remember like being, warehouse living space. And
1: yeah, it was like what my version of what I thought a squat was.
0: Yes, at the time. American squat, even though yeah. they paid
1: rent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: American squat, you pay rent. <laughs> it's not like Europe where you can squat and not pay rent.
1: <laughs> right, Literally the definition of squat, right? Right. Um,
0: <laughs> I guess we're all squatting in America. You just have to buy the place or rent it.
1: Yeah. Um, so we had played there and then we played, I think it was the night before that. We played probably the, the biggest show um, I ever played in Justice League. We played at San Jose Convention Center. With who? With... With social distortion, the Vandals, Doctor No, and like two or three other bands, we were like second or third on the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was a big show. That was how many January. people? I want to say there was probably like twelve hundred people there. Wow, maybe maybe even a little more. Um, something like that. That's what I recall. Twelve hundred. Um, that was January of eighty six. Um, Right after that show is is when John Rowe left the band. And then we got Casey on vocals. We recorded the Shattered Dreams album. Um, Played a show in Long Beach with Casey. And then we played a show, that show in Reno that we were talking about earlier with Casey. I want to say that was May. Now that I think back, that was May of 86. And then... I had booked, like I said, I was booking a summer tour, Bob Durkee and I booked it um, together for us to go out the whole summer of 86 on our own. Um, we pulled our money and bought a van for like $800, which was a a three speed on the, on the fly. Yeah. Um, yeah. seventy three forty 40 line. <laughs> how did, how did it go? <laughs> did you make it to the East coast? it survived it survived there was it had a little glitch with uh i don't know something in the, in the gear shift where it would come out of come out of alignment or something and we would have to crawl under and push this thing back up i don't remember what it was We were, we all knew how to fix it like every time it happened someone would crawl under the van and, and shove this rod back into place manually <laughs> exactly <laughs> digitally literally wow. with with your hands not with any yeah. tools or anything um <laughs> push no in. air you know no air conditioning know oh god no um yeah and and skip smoked at the time so it was just wonderful it was a a great you know great experience (laughs) but we (laughs) we booked the whole us tour um six weeks and all we had out was the seven inch um the fingersync seven inch with with row on vocals he was you know two singers ago at that point yeah oh so yeah to, to backtrack a little bit uh, two weeks before the tour was supposed to happen, Casey, our singer, decided he didn't want to go. He had a uh, a girlfriend at home that he didn't want to leave, and he had a job at the cleaners that he really liked. Uh-huh. <laughs> and those were his two, two uh, reasons for not going on the summer. At a,
0: at a dry cleaners? Yes. Uh,
1: you know, to this day, yeah, he still kind of regrets that, but...
0: Like not no, no. really Casey's
1: still one of my best friends. Um so it, it all worked out Yeah. Did but... you
0: because, did you start singing or who who was the yeah, singer? Yeah, so
1: well that 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 tour we had no singer. Um and we we played we had a backyard party and another show in Southern California before we went on tour. And we're like, what are we gonna do? You know, should we ask John if he wants to come back and sing, or what are we what else can we do? And we're like you know what? Let's just do it ourselves. We'll all sing. So we literally, like, Fred, Ryan, and I, we kind of split the songs into, you know, three, and we each took certain songs, and and not even whole songs. A lot there were a lot of times where we would, you know, he would sing the verses, and I would sing the chorus, and that kind yeah, of thing. That's cool. Um, so we just we figured it out. Even Skip, our drummer, sang one song you know, and we had like, you know, we had like a 10 song set and we each sang, you know, roughly three songs and then Skip would sing a song and we just figured it out. And that's how we did it. And by that time, you know, the Shattered Dreams record was already recorded. So it wasn't like we had to you know put vocals to it or anything. We just, we just learned them as they were. And uh, I don't know, it worked out well. Because a lot of the bands that we were starting to get into by that time, you know, if you listen to the shattered dreams record it's not it's not minor threat anymore you know it's right. it's a lot more uh, a lot of diversity into it and we were we were super into bands like squirrel bait and yeah. uh, uh husker du and rites, rites of spring especially yeah. so i we worshipped at the altar of, of dc you know yeah rites, i mean rites that's... of spring were were the band in dc at that point right um, so that we were in, and they sang and played guitar, or Gee, you know, sang and played guitar. Um, so it wasn't like we were stuck on the fact that, you know, hey, we have to have a front man, we have to have a singer. Um, Cause, you know, I mean, social distortion. Mike Ness plays guitar and sing. So we weren't, we weren't against the idea of, of guitar players singing. Um, so we did it ourselves. And, uh, you know, it was a great tour. I mean, I remember getting back to the East Coast and, you know, on more than one occasion, people called us "Rites of Spring West," Just <laughs> that was that was our whole deal at the time. We were just throwing every you know every ounce of emotion and energy we had into every show, and by the end of the set, we were just you know toasts. You know, I remember there was there was a show in in Omaha, Nebraska, in this like sweaty little basement somewhere, and that that was that actually turned out to be the best show of the tour in Omaha, Nebraska. And what happened was um, Bob Durkee, when he was trying to get us shows, he was sending out advanced cassettes of the album. Cause the album wasn't out yet. We recorded it in March and April of 86, but it, it didn't end up coming out until January of 87. So that whole summer of 86, we were touring on just a seven inch, even though the whole album was recorded and we were, you know, not, business minded we weren't playing the songs off the 7-inch and saving the songs off the album like you would do nowadays yeah we were playing the album even though it wasn't out yet and we were literally playing one song off the 7-inch um so most places we played nobody knew our songs you know they liked us you know we did well but nobody knew our music or our songs um but we get to Omaha Nebraska and we we launch into our set and there's this crowd of like ten or fifteen kids up front, all singing along every word. And they,
0: they got the cassette.
1: They got the cassette. The promoter, you know, the promoter got the cassette, they like, traded he it. Must around. have made copies yeah. for all his friends. Right. And so, like, all these kids up front were all, you know, into every song, and they knew all the words to all of our songs that hadn't even been released yet. It was just, it was the greatest show. We played that whole tour. I just remember being so just, just insanely psyched on that show that i just you know everything i had was left on the stage and as soon as we were done playing i i like went behind my amp and puked I mean, but there was no alcohol involved or anything it was just sheer yeah. just you know yeah energy exhaustion and energy and just it was all gone yeah yeah that that like rights of
0: spring you know they had that reputation of you know, they break their instruments and they're crying and just going crazy. But like, they didn't tour. You know what I mean? Exactly. Those, those, then they went exactly. home to their to their beds. You know? Yes. So, yeah. so you could do that stuff, but it's like try doing yeah. that for, for 30 nights across America driving exactly. a van. I mean, no, I, I don't I, think I, so.
1: I wanted to smash my bass so bad after every show, but it was yeah. like, oh, get you know, I get it and just like, no, okay, I can't do it. Got to play tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I only have one bass.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't uh
1: can't live that part of it out. Not that <clears> we'd <throat> ever seen Rights of Spring because they never made it to California. Right. But you know, that was that was the legend anyway. We'd saw pictures.
0: Yeah, you'd see pictures, and wasn't there it seems like there was one particular article in Flipside that was about Rights of Spring. Do you remember that? Like an
1: interview or probably something I know about there was some... a whole DC family tree thing they did, but I don't know yeah. if that was the same one or not.
0: No, I'm just thinking it back then it seemed like there would be an one article that or or interview that would really capture the imagination. And you know, back then obviously all you had was photos and fanzines and rumors right. about things. And so Brights of Spring had this kind of mythical
1: They were they were definitely mythical to us. Yeah. I mean yeah. I mean there was there was a good six months where I would literally listen to either the Rights of Spring or the Squirrel Bait Record every day. That squirrel bait record was
0: you're talking. Um, what's what's that? What's the name? The first of one. This was the yeah. first one. It was was just, it, called... it was Just called
1: Squirrelbait. Yeah, Squirrelbait. Right.
0: Then like Heaven I... was the
1: next one. Right. Yeah, yeah. But that, yeah, first that first one, that eight song EP was amazing.
0: The the, the drumming, the singing, the guy's voice was
1: so yeah. yeah Peter Searcy. And... Peter Searcy was like my idol as a singer at that point. Yeah.
0: Such a good voice, and the songs were just so catchy and interesting, and yeah, they definitely were one of those bands that signaled. Cause like, like 86, 87 was when everybody was kind of looking for what's Something new. the, what's the next yeah. thing. You what, know? What's and, next?
1: Yeah. Bands were all kind of diverging. Most of them either went metal or melodic. You metal, know, or were, mo- Yeah. The two Ms. I mean, those were the two, the two things. And you know, while or funk liked, or funk or, yeah, there was the big Just little element. tiny bit yeah. of funk, you know, a little bit of that chili peppers, doggy rock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I saw doggy rock once <laughs> you did. I did fenders, not doggy yeah. style. Doggy no, rock, doggy rock, doggy rock
0: it. was was doggy style. Who were like an Orange County band, donut shop rock. Yeah, and then they they got Brian Baker and, and, and started. Carry on. And who? Oh yeah, Doug. Doug right from Doug the des, yeah Descendants. Descendants, and they um kind of went the Chili Pepper route they to try and totally one like of to the Chili Peppers fun yeah. funk and. And, th- and that was doggy rock and that was kind uh, of the big that was doggy attempt. rock
1: and then then they stopped playing and then they put out the record and they called the record doggy style anyway oh is that right yeah they, they they put out the record as doggy style with brian and doug but when they played live they had never played under that name it was always doggy rock
0: doggy rock
1: yeah
0: yeah i have i remember being at the discord house once and ian closed the door of the office or some room and, and on the back was a picture of brian baker in doggy rock with, With like a, big a thing on his head, big inflatable, yeah, <laughs> yep, <laughs> thing on his head, and he goes, "That's the reason Minor Threat broke up." <laughs> I was joking. He was joking, but it was just funny. But yeah, that's it- <laughs> funny. <laughs> I was like, Brian Baker is a true rock. Um
1: That's
0: the thing when you write rock history, you edit out the, the doggy rocks. You know, you just go right. Brian Baker, Bad Religion, Minor Threat, you know, Legend, uh, yeah, he was doggy rock. but it's like. Also, junkyard, doggy rock. Not the junkyard's a joke, but uh yeah, yeah doggy rock, it just gets edited out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Falls on the floor. But we're putting it back in. Yep. Yep. If you if you call him out on an interview, he'll admit to it, but you know. <laughs> he will he'll always say it was temporary. It was never meant to
0: be. Was Doggy Rock any good?
1: Uh, mm, eh, was hard. it fun? Yeah. I don't know. I only saw it once. I didn't I wasn't particularly thrilled. I think at that show actually I was talking to Brian after they played, and he said, "Yeah, Doug and I are moving back to DC. We're going to restart Dag Nasty." Yeah, good idea. Oh, cool! (laughs) Because I mean, (laughs) I mean, Brian was my guitar hero, still is. Oh Um, yeah, you know that's everything he's ever touched. I I will give it a chance if nothing else.
0: Dude, that guitar work on "Can I Say"?
1: Oh, it's. I mean, can I? Well, here you go. You can't see this on your podcast, but. He's got the Dynasty Flame Head
0: tattoo a, on the
1: forearm. Yes, I do. Can um, I say was? Can I say is a top three record of all time for me, for sure. Some some days it'll be number one, but I mean you've got you've got Can yeah. I say you've got Mommy's Little Monster and you've got Flip Your Wig by Histerdo. Oh those yeah, are, those are my, great that's, my, that's my trilogy right there. Yeah.
0: Oh God, um, Mommy's Little Monster, just a so classic. Classic. Just so evocative and just. Yeah, when i put that on that truly is music that transports me
1: you yep. know yep i just i listened to mommy's little monster front to back just like three days ago because <laughs> so i think i saw some posts that they're they're remastering and they're going to do a re-release was so like oh, i need to listen to that i haven't listened to that in a while oh, sure.
0: the song mommy's little monster is just yeah it's so such great music endless timeless
2: yeah, yeah. exactly
0: So yeah, that era, that 86, 87, you guys were DC led the way for so many. I mean, that's DC saved San Diego. I mean, it's like all those bands, like Pitchfork, you know, that's that second wave post slow death. You know, that was all so John Reese. I mean, Rick and him, uh, Don, they were all just, everything was about DC, Rights of Spring. Yep. That one album.
1: That was that. Rights of Spring influenced a lot. (laughs) that was that was the birth of emo. What for better or for worse. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for, in my case better. I mean, I like a lot of that stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, it's really yeah. emo. Yeah. That was the first one, but yeah, so we did that. Um, we did that whole summer tour. We played well, six weeks and, uh, we made it all the way back to the East coast. We didn't, we weren't able to get a show in New York city for some reason. We mm-hmm. just, we couldn't, uh, couldn't latch on at CBGB's, but we played Albany, New York, um with mdc uh, and then we had some days off and and our friend dave stein who we met on that tour in dc um he's like a punk rock lawyer for forever right uh, um he he uh invited us back up on a day off so we went back up to albany and stayed at his place and and dag nasty was playing that weekend um, so we got to see an extra dag nasty uh Descendants show up there um, Descendants were out on tour with Dagnasty that summer um, right. So we were able to hop On to three of those shows Those were some of the highlights for sure We played Boston with them We played Buffalo and then we played D.C. with uh, Descendants and Dagnasty Where did you and play in D.C.? A um, place called The Complex mm. I don't know it's not something I've ever heard of Before or since mm. um, Maybe it was a short lived venue it was it was fairly big. Um, you know, descendants were drawn, you know, three, four hundred people at that point, at least, if not a little more. <clears throat> so those were big shows. I remember meeting uh John Stab that night. Oh yeah. Uh, government issue. That was fun. He he said he liked us, but we were too loud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. John Stab tells you you're mm. too loud. Yeah. Uh um, were you a big government issue
1: fan? <laughs> Oh huge, enormous. Yeah. Was, yeah, I mean they were they still am. Yeah. Um, the that Joyride record is, Masterpiece. is my favorite. That's yeah. my all-time favorite GI record for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. It's one of the all-time greats. Followed actually followed closely by the make an effort EP that had Brian Baker on guitar.
0: Another um, good one.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um Yeah, we played a lot of good shows. And then the end of the tour kind of fell apart because, you know, back then obviously. You know, there was no, we didn't have cell phones or email or, you know, any way to like keep tabs on shows that were coming up. So, you know, the, the beginning of the tour was all pretty solid in the middle. We figured it out. But by the end, you know, we, <laughs> we would drive to a city and there'd be no show. You know? No so, problem.
0: We only drove 14 hours.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that, that happened a couple of times. We, we played New Orleans. That was our, our last like well not last but that was that was a good show in our own decent small small club um then we're supposed to play houston the next day we drive to houston get into the city we get to a pay phone whatever call the promoter oh that's been canceled for weeks (laughs) oh great and we were supposed for some reason we were supposed to play two nights in houston i don't know why nobody we never played we never played two nights anywhere else but we're supposed to play two nights in houston and uh, they're both canceled so oh. and, then, and then we had no shows for the day after that and our next show was in El Paso Texas but you know it was like four or five days from then we had yeah. no money we had literally we were broke as a joke because we didn't you know we had taken like a hundred t-shirts on tour to sell
0: and, long gone you know
1: in a couple of boxes of seven inches yeah and we we're pretty much out of everything by then because it was the end of the tour and you know we were making we were lucky to make 100 bucks a night if that yeah and you know that was going to the gas tank you know there was no such thing as hotel we were sleeping on people's floors every night yeah so what'd you do in um, texas so we drove so going back to toxic shock toxic shock had opened a store in new orleans um in 86 i don't think it lasted very long it was maybe there a year but uh this guy pete flipside Pete, I don't know what his real last name was, but he went by Pete Flipside because he wrote for Flipside for a while. Mm-hmm. Um he had moved to New Orleans to run this store to run Toxic Shock New Orleans. Um, so we had stayed with him the first night we played there. Um, so I think we got on the payphone and called him back. And, and you know, Houston's only a couple of hours from New Orleans, I want to say, maybe three. I don't know. Yeah. Don't, um uh- We drove back to New Orleans. We backtracked because we had a place to stay there, which was literally the floor of Toxic Shock. (laughs) But we drove back and stayed there like another two nights. Um, Spent a lot of time in New Orleans. That was back then. The the drinking age in New Orleans was 18. You broke edge hard? Well, Ryan (laughs) Ryan was the only true straight edge guy in the band at that point. Uh Fred, Fred and Skip and I all drank a little bit um skip smoked but um yeah so we were drinking like mad in new orleans (laughs) i don't know we didn't have the money but somehow we figured out how to buy drinks and and that was where ryan actually became unstraight edge for a little bit
0: (laughs) (laughs) new orleans is the city to do it you know new
1: New orleans (laughs) did it yeah
0: All it takes Um, is breaking down or yeah tour 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 stop in new orleans (laughs) yeah
1: so we were there for a couple nights and then we drove to el paso um we were supposed to play El Paso and Las Vegas as the last two shows of the tour. And we get to El Paso and I think we called the dude in Las Vegas and he's like, yeah, that show can't happen. Something happened with cops, blah, blah, blah. Um, so El Paso ended up being the last show of our tour and we played with aggression and, a uh, funny story from that night, not involving us. They had gotten there early that day. And decided to take a trip to Juarez, Mexico, right mm-hmm. across the border from El Paso, right there.
0: Always a good idea when you're on tour.
1: Always a good idea when you're on tour. And they also decided that this girl that they met in El Paso, the guitar player, decided he wanted to her to come to see him play that night <laughs> in El Paso. And, and she so... was a
0: minor, let me guess.
1: No, I don't know. I don't know if oh, she was a okay. minor, but okay. she was she was definitely not an American citizen. Ah, um, so they smuggled, you know, um, Mexican national across the border in their van to the show in El Paso, and you know, we actually I remember seeing this girl with them, and then when they went to play. She convinced them that she was tired and she wanted to sleep in the van, so they let her, or at least the guitar player let her uh-huh. sleep in the van while they were playing. And they came out after the show, and she was gone, and so was their money. And oh, was the, the van was still there? The van was still there, but yeah, but their, the tour all their, money, all their tour money was gone.
0: Pretty damn trustful, you know, to have a stranger <laughs> sleep with your entire pre- receipts for the, oh my yes. God.
1: I want, I want, the number that sticks in my mind was like $1,200 she got. It was a lot of money then. Yeah, a lot of money for them at the time. And uh, I just remember those guys wanted to kill him. They wanted uh, to kill the guitar player.
0: Yeah, can you imagine the, the tension in the van
1: after that? Yeah, so that was our last show of our tour. We drove home.
0: Uh, um, well, you got you you got off easier than aggression.
1: We did. Jesus, <laughs> that's our um,
0: that's that's
1: yeah. yeah. That's
0: a good tour story.
1: Yeah. So we got home and uh, got a new drummer. Chris Bratton came into the fold. Mm-hmm. Um, played a ton of shows over the next nine months as a four piece with that lineup. We you know we went up to. San Francisco played Gilman Street a couple times with Youth of Today and MDC. Uh, we March or April that year we recorded the Reached Out EP. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Seconds offered to put it out. Right, we thought that was a great idea. Uh, came out on Positive Force, but that didn't come out for you know almost six months later, six or eight months later. Which at the time nowadays that's nothing, but back no. then back then a lot of times records would come out in two or three months after you recorded them i feel like anyway yeah um or at least that's what we thought was supposed to happen because we book kevin had offered to book us a summer tour for summer of 87 and we were all in on that idea like sure kevin seconds is going to book us a tour (laughs) that sounds great and then about maybe a month before we were supposed to leave. You know, we were following up with him, like, hey, you know, you have dates, itinerary, whatever. And he's like, "Yeah, you guys are just going to go on tour with us." We're like, "Okay, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> that's even better." <laughs> you know, Seven yeah. Seconds, you guys are, you guys are, are, you know, one of our favorite bands, and and we're going to go on tour with you for the whole summer. That sounds like an amazing idea. And he's like, "Yeah, you guys are on. You're on the first half of the tour, and we'll give you." numbers because the tour is still being booked um this guy randy now randy ellis from yeah city City gardens he was he was booking the tour for them um but i guess maybe because we weren't paying him he wasn't getting us on the shows right (laughs) so we were on all the first half of the tour and then the second half of the tour we were getting numbers of the shows as they were being booked or maybe, you know, a couple of weeks after they were being booked. And we had to try to get ourselves on the rest mm. of the shows. So we we were successful probably about 75% of the time. Um, maybe that second half of the tour, you know, probably a quarter of those shows we didn't get to play on. Um, we either went anyway and just watched or or we would try to book another show in another nearby city. Yeah. You know, for the same night, you know, a few hours away or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, that was, that was amazing. We were playing, you know, seven seconds. The praise had come out. That was, Mm -hmm. that was kind of the record they were touring. Um, And we were still, you know, touring off the Shattered Dreams. And we played, I want to say we played like 35 shows with them in 42 days, seven weeks. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, that was, that was the highlight of my life i mean yeah that's like
0: i guess would that have been seven seconds tour after because i went on the 86 tour that was yeah i think
1: I I think you were on just the the one just prior to that yeah
0: so you would have been so it's similar you know cities and stuff probably
1: right and they're probably most of the same clubs or whatever so we're playing Mm -hmm. you know we were playing to you know a small show was probably 200 people and a big one was probably a thousand yeah you know just depending on the city and you know every night was packed and You know they're they're amazing, and you know people were you know some people were starting to get down on them a little bit because their Mm -hmm. sound was changing, but the shows were still great. I mean, people were people were still completely into it. You know, nobody had nobody had soured on them completely because they were still playing a lot of old stuff. Yeah, you know, they had maybe rearranged some of the older songs to play them a little differently or slower in parts, but you know, just you know, trying to be more showy, I guess sure know, get more crowd interaction um but you know it was a, it was a great tour and, and you know we were you know we were going over well every night um by that who, point who was had, playing
0: bass on that in seven seconds on that tour was it that was Steve
1: Steve was, he back. was back okay right yeah so it was it was, it was the, the the classic mod, modern day lineup basically, right. of, of Steve Troy, Bobby and Kevin yeah um and we at that point we had Because Fred decided right again right before the tour, Fred decided he didn't want to go on the tour. Our guitar player, Um, so we we tried out a few guys and we ended up getting this kid uh, Matt Baker, um, who went to high school with Chris, but he was like maybe a year younger or maybe two years younger. Probably I don't know. He he had just basically graduated high school and jumped in the van with us (laughs) to go on tour, and we also decided that. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know how much of the decision was mine, but I was told that we were going to get our friend John McEwen to play bass, and I was just going to sing on that tour. So that was odd for me because I had never been a front man, and Ryan was still singing a few of the songs. Um, so I wasn't totally comfortable. So I ended up. I bought. A, I bought a guitar. And we borrowed an amp from somebody. And so on that tour, on about maybe between a third and a half of the songs, I was playing guitar as well. Um, So we had like a three guitar lineup, which was (laughs) probably silly, but... Like the Allman Brothers of of hardcore. That's what we did. I heard heard Articles of Faith did that for a while, but I don't Mm. know. I never saw it
0: one of the rare punk lineups, the three guitar bass and drums.
1: Yeah. So for that tour, you know, we had three guitars for roughly half the songs probably. And then the other half I was just singing. Um, So that was, that was, it was was a great tour. It worked out well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of gear, but (laughs) yeah, right. Um,
0: And that, yeah, that's probably why a lot of punk bands didn't expand their lineups just it has to fit in a van.
1: Yeah. So with bodies. There was definitely some stories from that tour. Uh, yeah, the the third. What's the show, worst
0: place you stayed
1: at? Uh, Madison, Wisconsin. I remember that. We stayed. I think it was Madison. We stayed at you know some punk rock house. You know, and I woke up in the morning in my sleeping bag on the hardwood floor, and there was a rat about three feet from my head. <laughs> Face to face with a rat, (laughs) and I just put the covers on my head. I'm like, "There's a rat," and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's Phil. He's our pet." Oh good. (laughs) I'm like, "Okay, (laughs) thank God." (laughs) I was gonna say that. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're in danger. (laughs) I have a sleeping bag, mate.
1: Uh, Yeah. So yeah, waking up with a rat in my face—that was that was fun. What Um, were you
0: gonna say about the third show of the uh, tour? The
1: third show of the tour. Um, which was essentially the last time I ever went to Dallas before I ended up moving there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we played in in Dallas, and and as we're loading in our gear, I think maybe we got there a little late, so maybe doors were already open, or or it was, the show was about to start or something. Um, but as we're loading in our gear, there's this gang of like 15 skinheads just beating the shit out of some guy.
0: Oh, like the hammer skins or something. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah.
1: know. I don't know if they were Nazis or not, but they yeah, were but they were bad just news. Yeah, you know, there was 10 10 15 guys on one just killing some guy. Uh, and and we get there with 7 seconds and we're like we can't we just can't do this. We can't let this happen. No. So all you know, 8 or 10 of us or whatever there was, we just started pulling them off and and you know breaking it up and they're like oh he stabbed one of our friends i'm like all right whatever but you know, you're not going to kill this guy at our show yeah um you're like oh we're going to get you and so like we're like completely scared not even sure if we should play right you know, we're like we're like what are they going to do while we're playing you know <laughs> we're like open targets right <laughs> you know they could throw yeah. ashtrays or bottles or whatever they want at us Yeah. Um. We played, we rushed through a set. We, know, we probably did like eight songs and just blazed through a set in like 20 minutes. And then it was rather uneventful. We got off. We're like, oh, okay, I guess we're all right. And then we go outside after the show and our van has a brick through the window. Yeah, fuck. And all of our clothes are gone. Skinhead stole your clothes? They stole our clothes. That's low yeah so i mean and i you mean know, here's another story right i mean how much would those shirts be worth today because oh, i, I God, probably yeah. had like you know <laughs> i probably had like you know two dozen you know punk rock yeah. shirts from bands of the day back then i mean not that i wouldn't have wore them out over the next right. five years. Anymore, yeah. But, yeah they'll But whatever but yes if they were I had, kept in a box so i had no clothes and ryan had no clothes we're, they were the only ones who got stolen just me and ryan uh, and I, what'd you do uh, you know, the Mario. next day we went to a junkyard and got a new window for the van and put it in. And we went to a, a thrift store and I bought like two pairs of pants and cut them off into shorts. And <laughs> and I think I went to like a local Kmart and bought some underwear and some socks. <laughs> and I wore a Justice League t-shirt and a seven seconds t-shirt almost yep. every night for the rest of the tour. Because <laughs> our merch was was safe. Yeah. And then every band we would play with i would try to hit them up for a shirt you know to trade you know hey can i want to trade a Justice Sig shirt for one of your shirts to build back the wardrobe yeah so i you know i did that i ended up getting you know four or five other shirts over the course of the summer so that was that was my wardrobe for the whole summer was the pair of shorts that i was wearing that night plus the two pairs of shorts that i bought at the thrift or pants that i cut off into shorts at the thrift store Every day for the whole summer, those three shorts in rotation. That'll
0: do it. I mean, you're yep. going to be sweaty anyways. You just, yeah, that's yep. incredible. Wow, yeah,
1: I love it. Yeah, showers were such a luxury on tour too. Oh, it was, yeah, it's like, I mean, you wouldn't get one more than every two or three days, and oh, you did. No. It was just, you know, it's like ah, shower.
0: <laughs> God, I, I have memories of some of those punk houses. uh the showers where you'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go take a shower. You look in there. It's like covered in black <laughs> slime. Like, I'm going to come out dirtier than I went in.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember playing a show. This was actually the summer before, but we were playing a show in Boise, Idaho. And we drove, I forget where we played the night before, but we drove all night to get to Boise, um, probably Portland or something, or maybe mm-hmm. Washington. Yeah. Um, 12 hour 14 hour drive. Yeah. So we drove on a night to get to Boise and got there in the middle of the day. And you know, the promoter or maybe a friend of his or something said, Hey, you guys can come over to our house and and chill here for a few hours before the show. We're like, Yeah, can we take showers? And he's like, I was like, Well, actually, we don't have a shower, we have a bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay. So I just remember taking a bath for the I mean, it was like, you know, I hadn't taken a bath since I was five years old or something. (laughs) It just wasn't something you did when you're, you know, in middle school and high school. You'd take a bath. So I took this, I took a bath. I was very, like, just weirded out by the whole situation. Very therapeutic on tour to take a hot (laughs) bath. Taking a bath in some punk rock house. Yeah,
0: that's not a common activity. (laughs) Usually, like, a very short shower.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That reminds me, though, if if it was from Washington, that was a show that I think uh, Pete brought up to you the other night on your, or it was night when i was listening to it yes on your last pod with pete um bremerton washington
0: yeah bremerton washington right Yeah. so
1: we we played that show that he was talking about it was was doggy style you were there yes i came up with verbal assault oh well that that may have been one of the last times i saw you then (laughs) yes false liberty false liberty verbal assault doggy style no effects and justice league that was a great show such a good one that was the first time we ever came across verbal assault because we had never heard heard them before that but we'd heard of them really and and yeah we saw that show and we were instant instant fans and we became oh, yeah. good friends with those guys that night so i mean I'm, I'm still friends with pete to this day I mean, that's i love that definitely yeah lost touch, touch for a few years but we've kind of reconnected over the last few years and Oh, he's so great.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. I remember that very well. Yeah. I remember seeing you guys and you were my SoCal friends. And by that point, I guess, had I moved up to, was I living in Reno or in San Francisco? I can't remember, but I was Not like sure. my first, one of my trips back up to Washington to my home. Yeah. So that was, yeah. that was
1: June of 86.
0: But That wasn't Bremerton. Was it, it was, um, Port Orchard or something.
1: Oh, maybe it was by the Wa- Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I do have a flyer for that show somewhere. Um, yeah, or a, a scan of that flyer, anyway. I don't have an actual one. Yeah, that was that was a good show. I, I remember all these stupid little memories. So, somebody from Fallout Records mm-hmm. Seattle, yeah, Is that was that yes. a punk store, or was that just yes. a record store that had punk? It was a punk
0: store? No, okay,
1: That's, was oh, there you go. There's another one, yeah. Um, so they were there, or at least they said they worked at Fallout Records. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Skip knew them maybe from that doing mail order or whatever. And he gave them like, we had only made like 200 stickers for this whole tour and skip gave them like a hundred stickers <laughs> to sell at fallout records. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, send you a check for hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That never happened. <laughs> <You> just gave <laughs> half your stickers away. Literally gave away, he literally <laughs> gave away <laughs> half of our sticker supply to this one dude, to one said, person, fallout records. And afterwards, we're like, "What you did? What?" We're
0: gonna be getting those fat sticker royalty checks.
1: <laughs> he's like, "Oh, he's gonna pay us."
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah.
1: Uh,
0: also, back then, you know, it's like without the social media and, and email and stuff, it's like you're never gonna, yeah, yeah. see that person again.
1: Yep. Uh, and, that that same tour, we were supposed to play a show in Detroit with uh, Gangrene and DOA mm-hmm. and. and A bunch of bands. I can't remember who else, but there was like three or four really big bands, and we were supposed to open. I think it was supposed to be like six or seven bands, and we get there, and the promoter is like, "Yeah, I had to bump you guys." It's like we can only have five bands tonight instead of seven, and we had to bump you guys. We're like, "Oh my god!" Well, no, actually, we found that out before we got there. We called. We were in Chicago and we had called and he told us that he's like yeah but just come on over you know it's only a couple hour drive just come over you guys can get in the show and i'll i'll put you guys up for the night and i'll still pay you oh we're like okay well How'd that we're, work we're, out <laughs> we're broke as i'll as get out so let's do that so we drove there and uh we were supposed to, you know we had like a hundred dollar guarantee or whatever um we get there and after the show, we asked him about the money. He's like, "Like, yeah, we didn't make as much as we thought we were going to." He's like, "He's like, I can give you this," and it was like twenty eight dollars. <laughs> so like, we just drove. We just drove here for twenty eight dollars
0: and a free punk show on your day yeah, off.
1: Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> two hours. Was that and, promoter
0: that guy scary? Was that his name?
1: I I have no recollection okay. of that. But he did Detroit. He did put us up for the night, so I'll give him that. Um, so we, we all crashed at his apartment it's worth something so, yeah that's awesome yeah. So,
0: so today um are you playing music I, I mean i saw that you have the
1: band sloth fist i do um sloth fist is in dallas based band so that's yeah, mm-hmm. probably that's probably what confused you about me living in dallas um so i moved back to la but i stayed in the band because i am there just enough yeah. to to keep up with the practices you know at least uh, you know I missed about half of their practices, but mm-hmm. I'm there for the other half. And then whatever shows we get, um, I'll generally just make my way back for her. somehow or other. I'll rearrange my schedule. Um, it's a super fun band. We've put out, uh, we put out one digital EP and we've done two albums. Um, yeah, I was listening to you guys. You're
0: good. I like the, I like the Mothman song.
1: The Mothman is real. Mothman is real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like the first band I've ever been that's like more fun based. Yeah. It's like it's not a it's not serious. You know, it's we're not trying to.
0: It's not right. know, It's of Spring influenced. We're not we're not trying to,
1: <laughs> you know, dig into our inner emotions or or solve the world's political problems. Um, you know, Eric rustinger writes all the lyrics and he's just, you know, he's he's got a good sense of humor and he likes to interject humor into all things. But I mean that that said there are some songs on the newer record that are are a little bit more personal. If you listen to the, the song Bombs, which is an acronym for back on my bullshit. Um, you know, he's he's digging into some inner demons there for sure. So, you know, it's 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 a mix. It's a mix of fun and darkness, I would say. Um cool. but they're they're all really, really good players. Um, I'm probably the slacker yeah. of the band on bass. Um You know, I'm obviously the old guy in the band. You bring the, you bring the, you bring the cred. I bring the age and the gray (laughs) hair. Um, At least you got a good head of hair. Yeah, I have a good hairline. It won't go away. I hope (laughs) that's awesome. Um, um, But yeah, we, we play, you know, we haven't done any touring per se, but we've done, you know, a handful of out of town shows. Typically, you know, the, the credo is that if it's within driving distance on a Saturday, we'll do it. Yeah. So we've done Houston, we've done Austin, we've done Tulsa, Oklahoma City, uh, Beaumont, Texas, which is our so outside of Houston. We were actually supposed to play with uh, Agent Orange in San Antonio next month, and we just got dropped from that show. Unfortunately, yeah, um, didn't work out. We were on the bill, then we weren't. Um, but it's fun. It's 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 a good bit. It's a good. You know, we have a good little solid base of you know, fans in Dallas. So any, any show we play there, there's at least 20 or 30 people there who are super into it.
0: And uh, it's fun. Awesome. It's so cool that you're playing
1: music. I just, I never stopped. No. Um, I mean, it's just, that's in my blood. I, I, uh, you know, I've never done anything with the uh, national success of, of justice league since, but you know, I've always done bands. I did a band called the Paul and art for a couple of years. And then I did a band called blender for a few years, you know, we're just local Southern California for the most part. Yeah. Paul, Paul and art did do a 10 day West coast slash upper Midwest tour, which was a complete disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Four shows in 10 days. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah. It was, it was supposed to be 10 shows in 10 days and and six of them didn't happen. Yeah. You don't want that kind of ratio of days off. No, that did not work out well.
0: Yeah, I was listening to Paul and art it's good. It sounds like uh, uh it's like kind of who's credo ish and it's got a real um yeah, good songs.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really where Justice League would have gone if we had done another record. Mm. Um I mean it's it's basically kind of an extension of that last Justice League record. Yeah. Um John McEwen, who was the bass player on that final Justice League tour, he played bass in pollen art and then uh I did guitar and vocals, and Chris Bratton sang. I mean, Chris Bratton played drums, mm. and uh, it was it was kind of a continuation of Justice League. It was the other half of you know, Chris and Ryan did Chain of Strength, and I did Paul and Art. So yeah, I kept going in the direction we were going, and they went 180 degrees back to you know, old school straight edge hardcore.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You just the band split, and you pursued the two two directions.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, you know, and they, you know, they had, they had seen the success that Youth of Today was enjoying, yeah. and you know, they were like, we were doing that before Youth of Today was. I want to, you know, I want a part of that. Let's
0: get in on it. Let's get those so, college, college letters going. And yeah, <laughs> you know, that was for them. Yeah, that was when that time it was like getting codified. You know, the straight yeah. edge thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were they were way bigger than Justice League ever was. So, right, you know, prop, props for that you know, whatever it worked out. Paul and art actually played shows with chicken strength. So that was, it wasn't too divergent in that realm. Yeah. Then I did do, I know we should probably wrap up. We've been doing this for almost two hours or two hours. We're under the two hour. Okay. Um, anyway, just real quick, I guess I, I did a band called the killing flame with a bunch of old orange County hardcore guys, Joe Nelson, Casey Jones, Kevin Oglesby. Um, they were around in the early 2000s and then they kind of took a break and then uh, Joe and Gavin reformed it with Casey on drums and me on bass. And uh, we actually did a two and a half week tour of Brazil.
0: Yeah, I saw some videos of that online. How was that? That was amazing.
1: <laughs> that was that was an amazing experience. We got to play with um, this Brazilian hardcore band called Dead Fish. We we're very like kind of 90s you know, epitaph influenced or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're huge, enormous in Brazil. Yeah. So we were out on the road with them, opening up for them, you know, playing to anywhere from 500 to a thousand people every night. It was just some great shows. Cool. And we put out a a CD that only came out in Brazil at the time. Amazing. It never came out in the U S. Um, when we got home, we got somebody, a label in Italy to put it out in Europe, but never did come out in the U S. Um, then we did another record after that, uh, that came out after we broke up. Mm -hmm. That was, that was a good band. Those are good songs. I like the killing flame had a real, uh,
0: international experience.
1: Yeah. I mean that my only time playing outside of the U S was in Brazil.
0: (laughs) That's pretty awesome though. For Brazil to be the place. That's
1: great. Oh, my, my first show, my first time playing live with the killing flame was on MTV in Brazil.
0: Okay, that's the video I saw.
1: That's yeah, incredible. Okay. That's yeah, that was, I mean, that was my that was my first time ever on a stage with that band it was that's, on MTV in Brazil. So cool! It's, it's pretty surreal.
0: Um, I've been to Brazil once.
1: It's an amazing place. Oh, it's great. Yeah, we had yeah. A, we had a, we, had a, we had a great time. We played two shows with the Lemonheads down there too. Uh huh. In yeah, what city? That's um. One was in Belo Horizonte. Mm-hmm. Um. I can't remember where yeah. that was, mm-hmm. um, and then some other city in Brazil. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I have. I, I do have it all written down somewhere. Um, uh, I saw. A fly, I saw a flyer for that show recently online. Um, those so those were good shows. Um, yeah. yeah, Evan Dando. Uh, he's he's a character. Yeah, he's a character. That's, <laughs> we'll just say that. I spent twelve hours. I spent twelve hours on a tour bus with him.
0: <laughs> those twelve hours. Did they have any? Do you have any good stories? Oh yeah! Nothing you want to share?
1: <laughs> I mean, he was uh, he was on. He, he yeah. was he was playing the same riff on an acoustic guitar for about twelve hours straight, mm. walking up and down the aisle. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff to do in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, go to the Boca yeah. de Fuma. It was, um, yeah. Amazing! He climbed a tree at a truck stop. That was great. <laughs> We we're you know, pulling over for gas and some drinks and he, he decided he was going to climb the tree
0: hit the cachaça and climbed up the tree <laughs> <laughs>
1: his character
0: yeah well that's amazing i love that well i think that's a good place to wrap it man we've covered a lot of ground and it's been so much fun talking
1: to you yeah i appreciate it and i appreciate you asking me this was fun
0: oh yeah i'm really so glad dude so that we did it and thank you again for rescheduling and doing this tonight it's it's been an absolute pleasure all righty um is there anything you want to point people to or i mean i'll put links in the bios to to uh, in the show notes to anything you want but do you have anything coming up in particular Uh, that you want to well
1: well i do i do um, speaking of you know ryan hoffman from chain strength and justice league he and i are still business partners to this day Mm -hmm. um so we own a record label called quiet panic quiet Um, panic so anybody wants to check that out and go to quietpanic.net and see what we're up to there. We've got about 12 releases under our belt over the last 4 years. Awesome. Um so that's that's going well, you know.
0: No, okay, I'll, I'll put that in there. Um
1: you know, no breakthrough successes yet, but we've got a couple of artists that are, you know, doing some stuff that is pretty interesting and you know, a called Slow Crush from Belgium that are doing really well. Slow Crush? Yeah, they're kind of a shoegazy... Mm-hmm. Heavy, heavy shoegaze, I would say hmm. they're probably our, our biggest artists. Nice, that's doing well. And a couple other up and coming bands, a band from San Diego called Negative Blast. It's we just put out their record, it's really good. Negative Blast, what are they like? Um, I like to say it's a mix of Black Flag and Ministry. Hmm. That I mean, sounds good. It's, it's very like old, hardcore influenced, but very modern sounding. Mm-hmm um and it's it's kind of to me i mean nobody else seems to hear this but me but i i hear a lot of ministry in there mm. um it's just m- mostly the i guess the they kind of use like a distorted vocal kind of thing mm-hmm. um, but it's it's really good
0: it sounds good black flag of ministry can't go wrong so awesome yeah. well thank you again so much so good to see you
1: all righty you take care and okay. okay. in touch.